Talk Live. It's your show. You can dial in toll-free. Bring up whatever you want at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features are completely free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. You talk about whatever you want. Uh, In the meantime, we'll bring up things that are interesting to us. And Mark, right before the show, you told me about something that was very intriguing to (laughs) To you. I'm sure it was. Yeah. What is this? It's from the Huffington Post, and I'm not going to read the title of it. I just want you to get the the gist of the story before I jump out with the, uh, the, the, the headline. Joaquin El Chapo Guzman Lorea, reported head of the Sinaloa Sinaloa cartel cartel in Mexico, ranked 701st on Forbes' uh, yearly report of the wealthiest men alive, and he's worth an estimated $1 billion. Today, um, he officially thanked the United States politicians for making sure that the drugs remain illegal. According to one of his closest confidants, he said, I couldn't have gotten so stinking rich. I'm going to do my uh, Tony Montoya. Okay. Uh, even though he's Cuban, whatever. <laughs> so I couldn't be so stinking rich without George Bush, George Bush Sr., Ronald Reagan, even El Presidente Obama. None of them have the cojones to stand up to all the big money that wants to keep this stuff illegal. From the bottom of my heart, I want to say, gracias, amigos. I owe you my whole empire. Awesome. <laughs> Holy crap. Where is it? Where was this printed? The Huffington Post. Okay. Wow. A- according to sources in the Mexican government, President uh, President Calderon is begging American officials to, in the words of reggae Peter uh, reggae great Peter Tosh, legalize it. Oh yeah, said an um, said an really? official close to the Mexican president. Felipe is going crazy. He's screaming at everybody who comes in. Why don't Why don't they make this crap legal already? For real, You're killing me here. Wow. That's the problem, man. I mean, even he knows it. That's amazing. Look, everyone knows when you have prohibitions, you create gangsters. And the more you prohibit, this is the, the guy. This is still the guy talking, no, right? No, no. no, no. Oh, okay. This is, this is no. Wait, what? I'm sorry. That is not uh, President Calderon. Anymore. I want to. I want. No, no, no. Wait, wait. The drug dealer guy. No. I thought this was a letter from the drug dealer being published in the the Huffington Post. What did I miss? It's not a letter. It's just a, a quote from one of his close friends. Said ah, this. I see. Um, the more you prohibit, the more gangsters you make. El Chapo is um, is hero now um, to all those slum dogs who want to be millionaires. Kids in the street, when they play games, they want to be El Chapo, the baddest man in the whole <laughs> damn town. Meanwhile, many speculate that rich and prominent Mexican families are in cahoots with American businessmen in the alcohol industry, wealthy industrialists who launder the uh, unprecedented profits from the drug business with their legitimate enterprises and... Lawmakers who get gigantic kickbacks and payoffs to make sure that these drugs remain illegal so that they can remain rich, fat, and happy. According to sources on both sides of the border, tens of millions of dollars in payoffs and kickbacks are stashed in Swiss banks every year. Blood money from the brutal business made possible by a corrupt system supported by laws that don't and have never worked. Rather than putting El Chapo and his kind out of business by modernizing outdated laws in the process, making billions of dollars from taxing drugs, as done with cigarettes and alcohol. They crank down even further. The United States government has spent hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars chasing its tail and offered a $5 million reward for the capture of El Chapo. (laughs) Many have said that the offer is officially dead or alive, unofficially dead dead or alive. Meanwhile, as an epidemic of murderous violence rages in the Mexican-U.S. border and the American government wastes boatloads of 
badly needed money in the illegal drug business with results from the prohibition laws. El Chapo, which results uh, from the prohibition laws. El Chapo is laughing all the way to the bank. Whoever came up with this whole war on drugs, one of his lieutenants um, reports he had said, I would like to kiss him on the lips and shake his hand and buy him dinner with caviar and champagne. The war on drugs is the greatest thing that ever happened to me, and the day they decided to end the war will be a sad one for me and all of my closest friends. Yeah, well, as long as he saved his money, he'll be all right. And if you don't believe me, ask those guys whose heads showed up in the ice chests. Wow. Yeah, this is a brutal, brutal man. Um, But... You know, he's making it abundantly clear That's for how you, you everybody. To, <laughs> you have to be brutal to make it to the top in the drug business. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. He just, you know, ordered these guys' heads, you know, cut off, and I guess they mm-hmm. showed up in ice chests. Uh, look, people, this is it. This is, these are the results here. There's the, you know, if there was any doubt in your mind that perhaps, well, maybe we shouldn't make cocaine legal or heroin or whatever. Yeah, you want to keep putting money into this El man's pockets. isn't making his money off weed, dude. Oh, he's probably running He's weed. probably wa- running some, but he's not making his money off of it. Should, there's not the markup on weed that there is on, uh, well, not for the dealers at least. I don't know. It's all different at the uh, the, the high levels. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about thousands on thousands of pounds. I mean, the, the whole thing plays differently up there. You're not talking about street level stuff. Yeah. So very interesting. So <laughs> I don't know. Just thought you might find that uh, yeah. story a little interesting. Well, yeah. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. So people like him are bringing it in at the upper levels, and then it filters all the way down to the daughter of Joe Biden. Did you hear about this one? Mm, no, there's a, there's an alleged video now by oh, uh, t- yes. taken by a friend of hers that yeah. shows her snorting cocaine, and then you know being a cokehead afterwards. So what do you think is going to happen to her? Nothing. Well, if you take a look at the history of daughters and sons of politicians and politically connected people, yeah, that's a pretty safe guess. It'll be a, a bit of hubbub in the media, and then they'll talk. Then inevitably, the politicians will step in the way and say, look. We'd appreciate some privacy on what is uh, essentially a family matter. <laughs> this really, this is really personal. Okay, we don't need to be talking about this in the media. We're handling this as a family. Thank you very much. That's how they handled at least the uh, the Jeb Bush situation down in Florida, where right. his daughter was a crack addict. Yeah, they catch anybody else, they throw him in jail, though. Oh yeah, you or I or our kids or our friends. Yeah, we'd we'd go, we'd all go into the pokey, but uh, daughter of Joe Biden. She's probably going to get a pass, and it'll be swept under the rug. But who knows? We'll, we'll certainly keep an eye on things. It'll uh, probably be one of the first times that a video like that would uh, would hit the Internet of some famous person's or politician's uh, offspring getting high. So that might kind of change the Why would anybody situation. be so silly as to let someone take a video of them snorting a line of Coke? I don't know. Maybe she was uh, – I, I don't know what it's like to do cocaine, Mark. I have no desire whatsoever to try it. But but I do understand from some who have used it that the Coke user's attitude is hmm, somewhat overconfident, would you say? I, 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 I don't, don't know. know. Maybe I mean, she just got all coked up and didn't think it would be a big deal. Yeah, but it's a big deal. Who knows? 800-259-9231. We continue your phone calls. Mark in Indiana, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, what's going on, guys? Mark, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, not much. I was uh, talking with my parents uh, a few weeks back, and we're talking about, um, you know, the Constitution. I think I'll talk about patents and everything. Do you guys know a uh, like a free market alternative to patents and copyright kind of information? 
It's an interesting question. You know, I was watching the Dr. Mary Ruart speech. Mark, have you had a chance to look at this yet from the Liberty Farm? It's over at HomelandStupidity.us, and she is a uh, she's involved in the pharmaceutical field, has been for a long time. It's it's her career, and she was talking about, and this was surprising to me that she was talking about like back in the early part of her career, they didn't have patents. She said that they were busily rushing drugs to market so they could be first to market, and that's really what counted the most was that they were first to market, not the fact that somebody could copy whatever it is that they com- came up with the, the very next day. Just the fact that they were first to market was enough to, to boost their name recognition as, hey, you know, we are the ones that innovated this, this is our product, and that's what they were competing for. So they didn't even have patents back then, and there was nothing, there was no market... People um, were still getting drugs. Right, there was no market replacement for patents. People were getting drugs, drugs were coming out much faster than they are today, and... Uh, they never even thought about such protections. Hmm. Right. But I think the current law says, which is just absurd, that uh, people got to wait like uh, seven years. So, in other words, if you manufacture something um, and you just leave it around wherever and someone else does a day later and they get the patent on it, or that they can't because they got to wait seven years. So, if they want to get it to the market as soon as possible, they can't. They got to wait for you. And essentially, that could be up to seven years, which is just. Uh, and there's different know, numbers, for, from what I understand, for different things. But, yeah, it's just absolutely outrageous. It's restriction on competition, and that just means the marketplace isn't getting the supply of products that it otherwise could. Thank you for the call tonight. So I don't support any sort of alternatives, but if you want to try to put contracts on your products and prevent people from sharing information, good I luck. Have a, I have an idea for drugs. All right, more coming up. You bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can dial in toll-free and bring up anything, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We've got a wiki with over 1,800 pages created by listeners just like you. Head over to wiki.freetalklive.com and get interactive. You can edit virtually anything you see, W-I-K-I, wiki.freetalklive.com. All right. Well, the bureaucrats are undermining your right to bear arms. They're also taxing bottled water. That's right. Water. Log on to enjoybottledwater.org and tell them enough is enough. Sign the petition fighting taxes and regulations on bottled water. After all, if they can tax water, what will they do next? Enjoybottledwater.org. As we continue, uh, Mark, you wanted to comment on the drug patent situation. The question from Mark earlier... uh, Mark the caller, uh, was, well, what would you propose in the absence of government patents? What kind of market solution would you propose? Well, I said nothing. Uh, that's, we used to not have anything in place of patents, and everything well, that was worked on, great. On drugs, um, they, yeah. they've had patents all along on different things, and uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of no, problems. No, they haven't. The Office of Patents has only existed for so long. I thought it was in the Constitution, he said. Uh, I don't know. I don't I think it was. I don't think that anybody really cared about it back then, but maybe it was. Okay. Uh, certainly, it's a very lucrative business, business just patenting a bunch of things. And uh, all I was wanted to comment on was drugs specifically. Uh, Mary Ruart said that at one point um, in her career, and, you know, she's a... Uh, a lady who's had a full career mm-hmm. um, in, in the drug industry, that they didn't patent their drugs, that they just rushed them to market, and that's how they made their money was to being first to market with a particular drug. And, you know, I would assume they established brand recognition in that manner. However, um, you know, one of the, the big sticking points for me on patents has been um, 
basically movies and drugs. I feel that drugs are so important that we needed um, to have patents. But, um, you know, well, Dr. Mary Ruart disagrees with you. Yeah, apparently she does. And however, um, what I was thinking was is in a, you know, if your your drug company really wanted to protect some drug that it had, it didn't want anybody to get a hold of it and reverse engineer it because that's the big concern, right? Um, That if they have a particular thing that they want done, um, they could have a clinic. They could open up a clinic in, you know, a bunch of different towns and administer their drug in that manner. You'd have to come there to get it. You have to go to a particular place in order to get chiropractic work. You have to go to a particular place um, often to see different types of doctors. As a matter of fact, if you're in a... uh, a drug testing situation, you have to go there in order to get, you know, whatever, uh, you know, experimental drug you're be- is being tested on you. So it's it's not unusual for this, to, not particularly unusual for this to happen. You know, people so you're would, saying the pharmaceutical company would open up a clinic? Is yes. that what you're saying? Or they could administer it through doctor's offices, which is more likely. So could I, uh, as a generic manufacturer, also open up a clinic? Well, I don't see why you couldn't. I okay. Mean, you can rent so you're talking about space. in a world without patents? In a world without patents. Yeah. If you wanted to protect your intellectual property, which is the drug, to prevent the generic guys like you from reverse engineering their um, the drug, then you have a clinic and you administer the drug in that manner. That way you have a you know, line Nobody of possession. Nobody can go home with it is what you're right. saying. Right. You have a line of possession with the you drug. You could still have a leak inside your company. You could still be like you know, business espionage. Understood. You could have that. You, you could have that anyway. They're still. Sure. They're already doing this. They're stealing the drugs and they're putting. Um. You know. They're taking them to other countries and things like that. And and they're reverse engineering them in that manner. And and it's just the United States, the most lucrative drug market in the world. Well, I'd like to I'd like to expound on what Dr. Ruart had said during her speech, which again is available at HomelandStupidity.us. You can see the video of it. What she was pointing out is that the reason why patents are useful today in the pharmaceutical industry is simply because of the FDA. Uh, Because the FDA has this incredibly expensive, lengthy process that these companies have to go through in order to bring a product to the marketplace. So they spend, you know, half a billion dollars or something insane like that in 17 or 19 years uh, with this insanely bureaucratic uh, process that's put in front of them. And so basically the idea is they don't want to go through that process and then the next day have somebody essentially take their ideas. So if if it weren't for the FDA's right. process... If it wasn't for the money that they spent on the FDA's process, right. that the amount of money that they need to make in order to uh, you know, recoup, they have to recoup research, that. research and all so that they stuff need that, wouldn't exist. They need that monopoly after that point in order to try to recoup their money, which is such a tremendous amount. She said that 80%, at least 80% of the cost of drugs on the marketplace today, prescription drugs, are the regulatory costs. Regulatory. The FDA's costs. Wow. 80%. I mean, you've t- I'm, we've all heard people talking about the amount of money that they spend every single month on pills. People that need these pills spend a tremendous amount of money. The insurance companies are sm- spending outrageous amounts of money on these things, and it's all because of the regulation. It's really just nuts. I mean, the, the, what she has to deal with in her, in her position with uh, dealing with the FDA, is, it's just amazing. So absent the FDA, patents could just be wiped off the table and we could get back to a, a real innovative, competitive marketplace in medicine that this country just hasn't had for a long time. And that would make a lot of people feel better. Let's go to your phone calls. Frank is in New York. Frank, you're on Free Talk Live. Yeah, just a couple of things. Um, yeah, what what the uh, Huffington Post said is very true. Uh, 
basically 95% of the people are wrong at any given time, and about 95% of the population will be law-abiding. So you declare something that, that people want, uh, that, that gives them enjoyment, or that, you know, is something that will enhance their experience. You declare it illegal, and then you will find 2 to 3% of the people that will be willing to break the law, and they will profit handsomely, because instead of, uh, you know, selling this at a, at a price that would be affordable and that uh, the amount of profits you can make illegally are so much greater. So the little bit of heroin that may have been sold in Vietnam at the American military base in uh, Da Nang uh, for 50 cents a little uh, tablet, a little uh, envelope uh, that the GIs could, you know, inject in their barracks, uh, that becomes $50 or $150, you know, in the United States. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, you know, the profit is, is, is incredibly great. And the sad thing is when you have a black market or something that's illegal, uh, there are many innocent people that pay the price for that, such as the little old man or the student or the little old woman that's going to the bus stop and the junkie mugs her and takes Absolutely. her purse, and maybe she's injured and she has to spend the rest of her life in the hospital, or maybe she's in jail, or the little person on the retirement fund living in the slum that, you know, the apartment gets broken into because the junkies want to take the... Uh, you know, the pension check or the Social Security They'll check. They'll take whatever they get their hands on so they can You've run down it. to the pawn so shop. So in a way, this is how the system works, and I view it as the same way with religion. I mean, you know, a lot of religion, it's, it's, uh, it's something that can never be proven. It's a regime of social control, and it's an incredible way to make money tax-free. There and are a lot of people making money on the war on drugs. And you see the smoke and mirrors. But regarding the... Um, uh, the patents, uh, uh, the, the patent office goes back to the very beginning of the United States when the Constitution was made. And you'll notice that one of the greatest inventions of the early period in the United States was Thomas Jefferson's steel disc plow that revolutionized agriculture in the United States until, you know, uh, mechanization occurred. I mean, there are many interesting things. And Benjamin Franklin uh, petitioned the government to create the patent office and was one of the first uh, examiners of the patent. It was a poor idea. Uh, I so thank you for the call, Frank. 800-259-9231 has been uh, something that has actually prevented, ended up preventing inventors from actually coming to market with ideas and empowered lawyers to do awful things to people that don't know what the system is all about. More coming up. You bring up anything. Free Talk Live. Are you moving to New Hampshire for the Free State Project? Maybe you are already here and need to find a place to call your own. Mark Warden, the Porcupine Realtor, will help you find the perfect property. Do you want a home with 50 acres of land? How about an income-producing building? Perhaps a cabin on a lake or a condo in an urban area? Invest in liberty and property. Contact Mark Warden, Porcupine Realtor. See his banner ad at freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can bring up whatever you want. 800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. Features on the site. We give away. Those other talk show hosts, they want to charge you for accessing their websites, and ours is free. Uh, you can actually uh, enjoy the updates for free. Updates.freetalklive.com. We'll keep you in the loop whenever there's something you need to know about Free Talk Live. Just go to updates.freetalklive.com and get on the list for free. 
The world's largest machine gun shoot and military gun show is April 3rd, 4th, and 5th at Knob Creek Gun Range. It's <clears throat> it's fun for the whole family with machine guns and flamethrowers for rent, helicopter rides, and 800 tables showcasing handguns, rifles, shotguns, and more. It opens at 9 a.m. It's $10 per person. K-N-O-B Creek Range.com. That's Knob Creek Range.com. 1-800-259-9231 started out uh, with a, a quote, an alleged quote at least, from a drug dealer, one of the kingpins, talking about how grateful he is for the war on drugs. Because if it weren't for the war on drugs, he wouldn't be where he is today. And, uh, of course, when, we, when you talk about changing that situation, you can bring this point up to the politicians, and th- they seem to understand it. But they won't do anything about it. For instance, within the last couple of years here in New Hampshire, there have been a couple of uh, decrim, marijuana decrim, pieces of legislation that have gone to the New Hampshire State House. And uh, they, they went through – here in New Hampshire, they go to the committees first, which is a small amount of uh, House members that take a look at each bill and make recommendations on it. And so I've been to a couple of these committee hearings, and I came in – Kind of as a joke, kind of as a, a bit of satire, if you will, to to put an unusual perspective in front of these people, because they always vote uh, vote these things down. These decrim bills, they just vote them down, vote them down, vote them, vote them down. So I went in there as a representative of New Hampshire organized crime, so or something like that. I just made it up. So obviously there's no lobbying group called New Hampshire Organized Crime, so this is a first, right? No one has ever come in and said, I'm the spokesman for New Hampshire Organized Criminals, and I just wanted to encourage you guys to vote this down. Vote this decrim down because we really need our profits to be protected. I mean, I've actually made up this whole speech about uh, – well, it was a big speech, but I made up a speech that was about uh, how it is that the New Hampshire prohibition against uh, drugs puts money in the pockets of criminals. And that was essentially the point that I made to these people. They seemed to get it. They laughed. They thought it was they thought it was funny. They thought it was poignantly funny. At least some of them did. And the questions that they asked afterwards seemed to make the connection that, yeah, okay, we get what you're saying. It seems to make sense. And they still voted it down anyways. It's like they are doing what the criminals want them to do. I mean, the criminals basically told them through me, hey, you're helping us out. I think that, and they went for it. Well, I think that the politicians in New Hampshire, uh, the representatives who voted this down, they aren't getting payoffs. It doesn't seem very likely that um, this, the payoffs are coming from drug lords for the 400 representatives no, it doesn't. in New Hampshire. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. I'm right. just saying it was I'm, put in front of them and they... Well, Still I do think voting. that there are absolutely politicians out there getting payoffs from, uh, you know, drug lords, whether it's directly or indirectly through one of their, uh, you know, um, you know, whether the drug lords uh, fund some of the companies that want to see drugs remain illegal, sure. and then those companies push it on the politicians, whatever. I don't know how it's done, but it's done. It's just not being done, um, you know, in New Hampshire. So in New Hampshire, likely, you know, what you're seeing here is just, you know, people going along to get along. There's no reason for them to stand up against. Uh, you know, the drug war, they aren't losing anything as a result. Well, drugs have been illegal my whole life, so we shouldn't make them legal. I know there must be some good reason for that. Well, they're the just, status quo. That's the, yeah. only, that's the only reason. Well, they're just lucky then that they haven't had a friend or family member get arrested for something silly like marijuana possession, because then all of a sudden it would be a personal issue for them. Uh, but but there's something else interesting going on here in New Hampshire in the realm of marijuana decriminalization, and that is the medical marijuana proposal has actually gone through the New Hampshire House, and that's good news. It's going to make perhaps New Hampshire the 14th state. 
across the country to have a medical marijuana, some sort of access for patients, people that need help, people that need to feel better and that have found that marijuana actually helps them. It's moving in the right direction. And hopefully this story from NHinsider.com and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention will help them continue to move this through. Hope this will, hopefully this will get through the Senate and pass the, uh, the governor, because according to the Youth Risk Behavioral Survey, which is conducted by states in, conjunct- in conjunction with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, both states have experienced decreases in teen use since medical marijuana laws were enacted. And when I talk about uh, Vermont and Maine specifically... So in both of those states, in 1997, 30.4% of Maine high school students reported using marijuana within the past 30 days. Maine passed its medical marijuana law back in 1999. In 2007, that very same statistic had been reduced to 22%. That's a 28% decrease in teen marijuana use since 1997. These statistics from the main YRBS are available online. Uh, Vermont also has useful data. In 2003, 28% of high school students reported using marijuana in the last 30 days. Vermont enacted its medical marijuana law in 2004, and in 2007, that statistic had fallen to 24.1%. So medical marijuana laws are leading to lower teen marijuana use. Now, you'd think there's a disconnect there. Like, yeah, you would. It's medical pot, so what is that? How does it, that even affect teenagers? It may be the forbidden. I'm just speculating. It may be the for, forbidden fruit aspect of it that uh, you know kids are like, well, you know, people that are sick. This is just medicine. Yeah, now it's a medicine, not a drug, right? Right, <laughs> medicine instead of an illegal drug. And and this is similar. I mean, in case somebody just looks at this and says, well, I mean, that could be the statistic, the statistical margin of error, and it doesn't really mean anything. It's not a statistical margin of error. What you're talking about there. I mean, that's not those 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 numbers are not a statistical margin of error. You don't get double digit statistical margins of error. I'm sorry, that just doesn't make any sense. Well, um, yeah, well, I don't know if it was doubled. Uh, in the case of Vermont, you could argue it. I mean, it went from 28.2 percent to 24.1 percent. So they could say that, but it falls into line with uh, what has been seen in other countries like uh, Amsterdam that have had significant decriminalization of marijuana, not just the medical side, but real decrim. And it falls into line there because uh, that they've had a significant reduction in teenage marijuana use as well over time. And it's and I believe I think you're right, Mark. I think it has to do with the forbidden fruit aspect. It's just not sexy and cool to use a drug that's not illegal. Well, not illegal and um, is legal for sick people. I mean, now you're now it's for sick people, you know, like that. I don't know. I'm just saying that that could be an aspect to it. You're only talking you're talking about a uh, you know a small percentage change there, so it would just have to. It's it's only speculation, it, but it, it you know it changes the brand. It changes marijuana's brand from um, is being essentially a drug, an illegal drug for you know people that are counterculture to being something that's for sick people. I'm not. It certainly it still has all the effects of, that it did before. So uh, so something else is uh, going on. We mentioned this weekend that Portugal has decriminalized drugs, and we had no idea, right? We just, just got wind of this from uh, Glenn Greenwald's blog, mm-hmm. and he's pointing out that it, the statistics are going to come out soon from the Cato Institute, and they're going to show that decriminalization works. Uh, but I did get something from Richard in the email box, and he says, uh, Caller mentioned that drugs have been com- uh, completely decriminalized, and I'd like to point out that drugs have not been completely decriminalized 
in Portugal. They have been legalized, which means there are still laws about them, and some things about them are still crimes. In Portugal, the government has legalized possession, use, and acquisition. Those things are legal, but manufacture, importing, or selling are still illegal. And that means that the supply so of drugs... buying is legal, but selling is illegal. Right. Interesting. That means the supply of drugs will be controlled by criminals and gangsters instead of being able to go into a local store and buy drugs. Now, I have no reason to uh, to disbelieve what he's saying because that's that makes sense. That's what a lot of the decrim proposals are, basically, right? The the first step decrim proposals are usually, hey, leave the users alone, and then they keep going after the dealers, which is, is not an optimal situation. But you can still make observations about what happens when you decriminalize drugs on the user level. It does change the way the market interacts and the way the black market behaves. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see those uh, details when they come out about Portugal. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. The heroic Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, wait. They don't call themselves that anymore. We'll talk about it coming up. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. If you're shown, you can dial toll-free 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us online. Freetalklive.com is the place to go. All the features are totally free. So if you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, you can do that by shopping with us. You can go to Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com, enter through that link, and Free Talk Live will get a percentage of your purchase. So whatever it is you need to buy in life... They probably sell it at Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com. And if you need to save a few extra bucks, they might even sell it used. And any way you buy, as long as you enter through Amazon.FreeTalkLive.com, we will get a percentage of the sale. Let's go to your phone calls about whatever you want. John is in New Hampshire. John, you're on Free Talk Live. Hello, you got to turn down whatever it is you're listening to. Hey, you talking to John? Yes, John. Sorry about that. You're on the air. Yeah, I was calling about the drug war. Uh, there's a lot of people that think that uh, if the government would just legalize and tax drugs, that the government would actually benefit from this. And uh, I'd say this is not so, because if it was so, they'd have done it a long time ago, wouldn't they? Well, maybe they wouldn't benefit as much, um, because you know, the, the thought process here being that the politicians themselves don't benefit from the taxes um, as much as they benefit from can- campaign contributions. Mm. And so the companies that uh, want to see, you know, that, that give the can- campaign contributions and the individuals, whether they're drug lords or, you know, out the alcohol companies or, yeah. you know, the, the plastic companies and or the timber companies, you know, those those companies, they give the money directly to the politicians for their running for the next campaign, whereas the taxes certainly would benefit the size of the government. I don't think that they, uh, you know, that it, it benefits the politicians in the same manner. That's a good point. And there first interest is their self-interest. Yep. So. Well, this is why they haven't done it, because their self-interest is to keep a lot of stuff off the books. Mm-hmm. So you have these type of things where big pharmacy, uh, maybe you know the big blue light gang, the big courts, the big military, uh, the industrial military-industrial complex, they're all, they're all wanting to, to do this kind of stuff. They fund covert wars off of drug profits, and also with, with the war, constantly going on it revolves because as as we see in the united states depending on where there's covert wars happening the drug that's produced in those areas that the covert war is happening you'll see an increase in importation to this country of drugs from Makes that sense. area yeah there's an example that goes back it's my favorite because it, it was actually in um 
congressional testimony uh, back in the, the Reagan days. And Clinton, by the way, was uh, um, just just so it's not partisan, you get a Republican and a Democrat, Democrat here. Clinton was the governor in Arkansas at the time. And at the time, there was the covert wars in uh, South and Central America. And, of course, there's still some going on today. But the major import point in the United States was known to be Arkansas. Really? And you had this guy Clinton that was uh, governor out there, and he, he even admitted that his brother had a nose like a vacuum cleaner or something like that. Not that that has something to do with the war. Anybody, anybody can have a drug problem. Yeah, weren't there allegations about the Clintons being involved in importing cocaine in a MENA, Air, a MENA Arkansas airport or something like that? There's kind? been that kind of stuff, and I'm no expert on it. And yeah. I'm not, as you know, I'm not a big conspiracy buff, but this is one I think that is not deniable. Uh, the, the congressional testimony, which I think just shines a light on it, and if it happens a little bit, you know it's happening all the time. I think this is just kind of a picture of the way it works. Okay. You had a guy that worked by the name of Hassenfuss who worked for the CIA. He had uh, got shot down in Central America after having delivered drug, uh, after having delivered guns to, I believe it was Nicaragua, on his mission for the CIA, and on his return trip to the United States, he was shot down. And in his plane, guess what, folks? The plane wasn't empty. How do they pay for these guns? They're paying for it with drug money. Okay. So you've got cash that's off the books. If it, was, if it was legalized and taxed, this whole network dries up. Mm-hmm. And they're always switching sides, as you know. These are real bad guys. They're criminals from, from you know, like this L, whatever his name is, that talks about, you know, killing people and his gang-related stuff to the gangsters in Congress who are very interested in the gangsters in the CIA and the right. DEA and the FBI, who I think actually manage this kind of stuff. If, you, if you'll recall, uh, like this uh, guy that's on the top ten list, of the uh, FBI's most wanted out of uh, South Boston in Massachusetts. He was known as the Irish mobster. His brother was the president of the Senate down there. <laughs> but anyway, the, the story, and this is all true, there's a guy named uh, uh, Conley, an FBI guy that's in prison, because he was allowing these guys to uh, commit murder and rape and stuff that he was in the know on all this stuff. But it, it's it's like this controlled... Um, mobster thing like they're like they're all mobsters and they're they're turning you know the other they're looking the other way depending on how it works and they change sides as we know because you know the you know with the government you've got one nation we could just say uh use iraq as an example you know they're on our side one time, and the next time, you know, the, several years later, we're bombing. But them. but either way, they're always against those of us who want freedom. I mean, if, for those of us that want to be free, it's like we're up against two gangs. We're up against the <laughs> the government gang, and then the uh, the other gangs, the, sort of the drug gangs. So, yeah, there, there's you know, there, a challenge. There has got to be a reason why, because like I said, people think that if it was legalized and taxed, that we'd all be better off. And you got to realize the ones that would do that would be the guys in government. They haven't done so. There's got to be a reason. Well, you know, it's it's encouraging, though, and you're right, John, and I thank you for the observations tonight and the call. It's encouraging, though, that a place like Portugal 
would have the ability to go ahead and move forward with drug decriminalization as Amsterdam has done uh, in the past or the Netherlands has done in the past. Uh, it sounds like Portugal has really taken it the next step instead of just doing mushrooms, which are now uh, re they have now been made re uh, remade illegal in the Netherlands. Mushrooms have interesting. Um, you didn't hear about that, yeah. Nah. It, and uh, so it's pretty much just marijuana yeah, in the and, Netherlands. And the fact that fa- failures and successes on the political front don't mean that the <laughs> that it wasn't working. It's yeah. just you know whatever politicians, uh, the, the forces that want to see drugs illegal, whatever kind of drugs they are. They don't, they like don't give up. They don't yeah. give up. I mean, even in Alaska, where I believe, I'm not sure what their current status is, but I know that there's constantly a, a struggle going on there where they've had some success at allowing people to keep marijuana for personal use at home, a decent amount of marijuana for personal use, and the prohibitionists just keep pushing back. The, it's a never-ending fight. We in, had a prohibitionist on, for alcohol on this show, but he wanted to see pro- alcohol yeah. prohibited. So I mean, they're still out there trying to prohibit alcohol. So it's no easy task that we have ahead of us. And I don't really personally believe that the political process is going to be how the the way is led to a world where drugs are decriminalized. I, I think that inevitably it will follow what will happen in the real world. And I think that I don't know what's going to, hap- uh, to have to happen in the real world besides mass civil disobedience to change this. I think that would change it real quick in the political arena. But I don't think that it's going to happen anytime soon if people just go in there and beg these Congress people to make changes. It just it doesn't seem to be a very effective manner of uh, making things happen. I think if you had the amount of people that would go, that would spend the time to, and effort to beg the Congress people, whether we're talking about U.S. or New Hampshire or wherever it is you live, that that same amount of people, if they were to engage in civil disobedience, would destroy this. I mean, the system wouldn't be able to handle that. So they would have to look at that and say, oh, my gosh, something seriously is changing here. Maybe we need to catch these laws up eventually to deal with it, because we certainly can't have people being arrested for marijuana if they're not going to pay the fines anymore. I mean, even if we're not talking about, I, I'm not just talking about a bunch of people all together at once doing civil disobedience, so I think that's very powerful and I think it should happen. Uh, each, each individual, as they get caught with marijuana under a system where it's illegal, if they refuse to uh, pay whatever fines are demanded, if they refuse to go along with the demands of the state, then that also will crash the system. And eventually they'll have to change it. So I think that's probably the best way to see political change is to just go through the, the process and the path of, of disobedience. Would love your thoughts on it. 800-259-9231. What do you think, Mark? Should we just, just go and beg? Um, well, I'm not against begging uh, if, it, if it's successful. <laughs> um, I'm also not against uh, some level of you know, uh, noncompliance more than anything. Uh, you know, I, I, I think some of the civil disobedience stuff is tacky, whereas uh, – you know, I I think that not paying your fine and then uh, you know costing them more by either going to jail or you know whatever. Some people would call that tacky though. Like you're not obeying the system. The laws are there that's for a the, reason. No, no, no. That's what the system is. You know, the system is um, either I pay or I go to jail. I'll take the jail option. Thanks. That's true. That you're right. That is the system, and it is an option that you have. And if more people took that option, they'd run out of jail space that's right what quick. I'm, it's what I intend to do on seatbelts. If they uh, make them illegal here in the where's that at right now? It's still, still winning um, the just, Senate? Just through the House. It okay. had not yet made it to the Senate. 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can bring up whatever you want. Do you hear about what's going on with General Motors today? Looks like it's an almost complete government takeover coming soon. 
Uh, we'll fill you in, plus take your calls about whatever you want. Hour 2 is coming up. This is Free Talk Live. You ever have one of those days where everything goes right? First, I get the best parking space at work. Tonight, I have a date with a very lovely Rachel. And today, I gave a killer presentation in Sydney, finalized the contract in London, and demoed our new product in Boston. Online, from my desk, with WebEx. WebEx lets me take meetings and give presentations from my desk. I just talk to clients on the phone, and they watch what's happening on my desktop from their desktop. So I can travel the world and still be here for my date tonight with Rachel. Travel less, meet online. Go to WebEx.com and try WebEx free. Just click the radio graphic and enter promo code 600 to get a free trial and a free webcam, too. Remember that code, 600, to qualify for the free webcam. WebEx, now part of Cisco and used by more than 5.5 million people every month. Give it a try, free. Go to WebEx.com and enter the promo code 600. W-E-B-E-X.com. Free webcams available while supplies last. Terms and restrictions apply. See website for details. Talk Live. We are launching into hour number two of the program. You can dial in toll-free and bring up whatever you want at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Mark. Join us online. Freetalklive.com is the site. The feature's free, so enjoy those on us. Again, freetalklive.com. We continue here with your phone calls about whatever you want. It's Alex in New Jersey on the amp line. Hey, Alex. Hey, guys. Hey, what's on your mind tonight? So I turned 18 recently, and I decided to do a bunch of things that I wasn't able to do uh, previously, uh, such as opening a checking account at the bank, et cetera. Wait and, a second. Uh, you can't have a checking account at the bank at 18 years old? You have old? to have a parent sign off on it. That's correct. Okay. Um, so I, you know, I've got my own checking account, and I kind of want to do some stuff with this bank called ING Direct. But in order to open an account with them, you have to have a good credit score that they really? deem fit. Now, the, and because they have a thing called overdraft line of credit uh, so that you don't have any kind of overdraft fees. But anyway, the question is, should I get a credit card and build up credit and pay interest? Uh, is, is that something that – is it really worth it to have a good credit score? Well, first and foremost, you don't have to pay interest to, to pay get good credit. Alex, you don't have to pay interest to get credit. Um, what you can do is you can get a credit card, but if you pay it off at the end of the month, then you don't have to pay interest on that. Uh, you know, you're not paying any interest. Just make sure that when you get the bill, you send it. You, you put a check in for it right away. If it's late, you'll have to pay interest. Yeah. If your payment is late, you'll have to pay interest. But if you uh, if you just if you're prompt with your payments on your credit card, you'll build your credit score and you won't have to pay a cent of interest. Make sense? Yes. Now, I called the bank, and uh, there's a guy there that handles all my stuff personally, and he, he told me that um, the, if I, the only way that I could avoid interest on the card is to pay it off online the very next day or the same day, in which case the amount of interest accumulated would be negligible because the credit card that I can get is like a special student uh, credit card where they do charge interest. Now, well, um, all credit cards it, charge interest. Uh, I've never heard of a card that charges you interest the moment you use it. I haven't either. Normally, well, the way like, a credit yeah, card so works... Like if, I bought it, if I bought it on the 1st of April, whatever I decided to buy, and I paid it off on the 30th of April, 
which is when the billing cycle is, they would charge me for 30 days of. Uh, That's nonsense. You can get a better credit card. That's a really crappy credit card. Um, and yeah. I, you know, there's there's got to be one out there that. I mean, the way they send credit cards out to people, I can't imagine that you wouldn't be able to get a credit card somewhere. Um, oh my God! Much more yeah. easily uh, with with a better well, with a better but, deal but, than that. I've never heard of anything like really that. This. Is it worth it to have a good credit score? Is it better to just pay everything with, you know, your Visa check card and just have everything debited credit's, from your Credit's nice account? to have. Uh, in, the, in the society we live in, if you're looking to ever put a down payment on a home uh, or something like that in the future, you're going to want to have a good credit score. Yeah, credit's, it helps credit's a good thing to have, and a check card's a, a dangerous thing to use because if for some reason somebody gets the, the account, um, in, in the case of a credit in case of a credit card, you're only charged 50. The worst you're you're liable for is 50 bucks, and, and generally they don't get you for that even um, if you get your stuff stolen. Whereas with the bank account, they can empty out your bank account, and it, you're like likely never back. get the money back at all. Right, because so when you're using the credit cards are dangerous. When you're using the credit card, it's the credit card company that's essentially fronting the funds for you, and so they've got the credit card company's funds, not yours. And then they then they have to reconcile that, and you have, you can you you can basically say, hey, wait, that that wasn't me. And then there's this process that you'll have to go through in order to sort of right that situation. Uh, but definitely having a credit card c- does afford you an extra level of protection, plus it does allow you to build credit. And so is the guy that's with the bank, this ING bank, is he the one that's pushing the so-called student card on you? Uh, no, that's a PNC. What's that? Is that another bank? Yeah, it's a Pittsburgh National something. But, How'd you uh, fi- how it, did you it, find them? How did you what? How did you find them? That's the bank that my mom worked at for a number of years. Why don't you ask your mom about this credit card? Um, because I think that there's a better chance that the guy you're talking to is misinformed or you're getting bad information from him in some manner, like right. somehow you're, you're misinterpreting what he's saying, than this credit card being uh, deviating from the norm in such a fashion. Uh, it just it, That sounds more likely to me. Yeah, it seems like there's well, a miscommunication. Well, Ian, do you have a credit card? Do I? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. And, and you use it regularly? Um, I know, not really regularly, but I have like the Netflix account is on there, and you know, from time to time, I like to buy my gas with cash just because I like to spend free talk live bills into circulation. Uh, but there are some occasions where I, I, I went on a trip to Canada and I use the credit card up there, gas pumps and things like that. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. And if you're ordering things online, having a credit card is uh, is a nice thing to have. So I would highly recommend it. I mean, as long as you're not trying to be out of the system, if you're you're not making a concerted effort to be completely private and outside the system, then there's no real reason to not have a credit card. It it makes makes life convenient. Remember this, Alex, is everybody who ever got got deep into credit card debt so deep that they couldn't get out said to themselves that I'm going to pay that credit card off every single month and I'm never going to pay any interest. Remember that those people said that, too, and understand that a credit card... Did they? Some people think it's free money. <laughs> understand that a credit card is a... Da- they may very well. I don't know. Oh, boy. They, 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 it's a dangerous thing. You know, it's a tool, but just like so many tools out there, you need to be um, wary of how you use it. And be okay. real wary of whoever it is that's trying to get you into this deal. And make sure you iron out the details. Do not accept any kind of credit card that has an annual fee. No fee. Don't accept a credit card that has – and the interest rate won't matter so much if you're going to pay it off on time. A lot of people will shop around for credit cards based on interest rates because they're taking they're taking uh, what is essentially an existing debt load on a card, and they're looking to maybe shop it off to another card, get a lower rate so they can pay that off. But if you've got good financial 
financial sense and you can pay your debts every month, then just look for a card that's got, ideally, you can get a 1% cashback card. That's nice. I got one of those from National City at one time. Uh, National City, they treated me okay. And so you want to get a cashback card if you can if you can get one. I don't know if you can if you're initially starting out in the credit world. I'm not sure to whom they offer those 1% cards to. But they're out there. You can get Visa cards with a 1% cashback. So at the end of the year, basically the credit card company will cut you a check for 1% of the amount that you've spent in the entire year. It's a, it adds up, you know. I mean, yeah. if you're spending some money on the credit card, it'll add up. So no annual fee. Look for the, the cashback option. And let's see, what else? Oh, and don't get a card that's going to charge you interest from the, the moment you make the uh, the purchase. That's crazy. I've never even heard of that before. But it does make sense that there might be some kind of crazy student card like that yes. just to take advantage of kids that don't know what the hell they're doing. Yes. It's a, a, a card All for... All right. Thank you very much for the advice tonight, guys. I appreciate it. Hope that helped. Thank you and good luck. Thanks, Alex. 800-259-9231. You were going to jump in there, Mark? I was just saying you know, it might be a card that's uh, for kids and scabs. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're sitting, when when they're reaching out to college kids with a table at the college campus, you can better believe you're going to get a crap can deal on uh, a credit card. If the reason that you should buy the card is because you're going to get a free gold necklace with the card, then really you might want to check real carefully into what it is you're getting into. Yeah, caveat emptor, buyer beware, know what it is that uh, the deal is before you get into it. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask them. And if you don't feel like you're getting a straight answer from them, check around, compare options. Like you said, Mark, there are so many credit card offers out there. I mean, there is no shortage of banks that are willing to get you onto their credit card program because they make money on both ends. The banks are rolling in money from running Visa, MasterCard, and all the banks that process those transactions – they are rolling in cash. They get money on the transactional transactional side. They get probably about 3% from every single vendor that does business with them. Yeah, imagine if you could get 3% on uh, all the business done in your town. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, you know, the government they're, doesn't even have that good of a deal. It's a sweet deal. And so they get 3% on every transaction. And then on the people that don't pay on time, they make all kinds of money off of them. What what are credit card rates, Mark? Like 16%, some of them? Some of them even more than that? I've, I've seen them as low as 7% and as yeah. high as 20-something percent. So and, and if you miss a payment, good Lord, that's when they smack you. So they still want your business, even if you are a good payer. If you're somebody like me and you pay on time every single month, they still want your business because you're still going to make them that 3% every time you use that card. So... Keep that in mind as you shop around. Uh, you know, if they're acting like uh, you're nobody special because you're just a student, go somewhere else and find somebody that wants your business. I agree. 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can bring up whatever you want. A lot of times the banks will have their own credit cards as well. So if you have a bank account, that same bank might be able to issue you a credit card. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You bring up whatever you want. Now, one company that's not very good with money management is GM. We'll talk about them coming up. This is Free Talk Live. You dial toll-free. Bring up whatever you want, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. Features, we give them away, including the Shrine of Female listeners, dozens of ladies who've taken the time to send us their validated photo. To prove they listen to the show, head over to shrine.freetalklive.com. You can see it for yourself, that's shrine.freetalklive.com. 
According to the Computer Privacy Handbook, normal Internet technology is the most comprehensive surveillance system ever invented. You put a stop to email snooping with an easy-to-use email alternative. It's free, too. PrivacyHarbor.com, or at least you can get a free account over there. There's, a, there's paid options also. PrivacyHarbor.com, because normal email is not secure. So we continue with your phone calls about what you want. It's Bill listening in Alabama. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Bill. Bill? Hey, Mark. Hey. How's it going, guys? What's on your mind, Bill? Well, I just want to take a, a quick exception to something you were talking about with the uh, the young 18-year-old there thinking about getting your credit card. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, when you have a check card that has a Visa logo or a, a, a MasterCard, that sort of thing, um, the same principles still apply as far as if, if your card is stolen or uh, identity theft and that sort of thing. It's still the $50 uh, that you're responsible for, and you'll eventually get your money back. The only caveat to that is it might take months. Well, underst- understood, and you're assuming that the bank uh, decides that's uh, the case. Let me tell you something that happened while I was uh, in business in a different life. Um, I had a uh, business with a friend where uh, it was a it was a golf uh, store. Um, you know, like we 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 went around the country doing little little golf uh, you know expos or, um, and selling clubs and things like that, <laughs> or and, rather not selling them. And we sold them. We just uh, you know sp- spent too much money to uh, oh, okay. the, the, the you know it's cash flow issue. All right? I remember was you uh, selling all those clubs at a garage sale. Once. Yeah. I get rid of my extras at a garage sale. <laughs> um, so anyway, there is a, a newspaper. We disputed the ad. They ran like the dates wrong or something like that on the ad that they ran, and I wasn't going to pay them. Well, they went in because we had to put a down payment for the ad. They went into our bank account and extracted the fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred dollars from the bank. I disputed it with the bank, but they never. We, they would never refund the money. So, therefore, if it had been a credit card, I would have been a heck of a lot better off because I would have been in possession of my money rather than with a credit card. Right, and, and, that, and that's true because, you know, you are essentially using their money um, and, and tying that up, and you're only responsible for X amount of dollars. Um, like I said, with the using it as a, as a check card, um, and mean, if, if they clean you out, yeah, you might get that back. I mean, the main thing to if that happens with identity theft or or some kind of fraud, having your credit card stolen, that sort of thing, is making sure you file a. Uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank now on what it is, but uh, basically a report or, or file something with the police, mm-hmm. as, so that it's on record. That way, it's a lot easier to present that to Visa. Um, because it's not your bank per se. It's it, it, it Visa. If you look on their website, it's going to be they they hold to the same principles, whether it's a check card or a credit card. You're, you're right. There's a process in both cases, but I'd rather go through that process with my money in the bank. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I agree. I, I was just like I said. I was just bringing up that one point that uh, that the process is the same. It's just a heck of a lot easier to, to you know be screwed out of their money for a time being yeah. and, and not yours. <laughs> exactly. Most people don't have the ability to continue on after having their bank account cleared out. I mean, if they're used to having some money in there with which they pay their bills and then all of a sudden it's gone, you know, they may not have uh, cash reserves that they can turn to or an alternate bank account that has, you know, has as much in it. So Absolutely. if you want to be cautious, use the credit card. If you want to throw caution to the wind, then use a check card. Who cares? I, I agree. Thanks for the call Thanks. tonight dude and thanks for the uh, the thoughts at 800-259-9231 let's talk to steve in south carolina steve you're on free talk live hello steve 
Hi, Ian. Mark. Hey, hey. you're on the air. Uh, just wanted to talk about, I, I use a debit card, too, from my bank, and uh, I have free checking. So what I did is I went ahead and opened the first account, and then I opened another account, which was free. <laughs> and then I, I put a limited amount of money in it. So when I go on eBay, I charge to that account. So somebody's going to go ahead and take my money. They're not going to take much. That makes sense. But, yep, I've I've seen I've heard somebody doing this too, and they do it actually with all their purchases, um, essentially, and uh, it works out very well that way. They don't bounce checks or whatever. That's right. And the thing is too that uh, the money I've got in my other checking account doesn't get touched, so you know I just don't get totally drained. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ian was talking about the three percent every time you swipe the card, and who pays that three percent? The well, the, <laughs> not the vendor. It's the uh, the person who's paying at the the cash register, whoever it is. The customer is is paying the three percent. Okay. Well, on top of that, um, I've talked with a lot of merchants, and every time that they slide a card, they have to pay four uh, to five percent for Visa and Mastercard, and eight oh. percent. American Express. So. Is that much? I think it's more like three percent for Visa and Mastercard, and then it's more for um, it's more for Discover, and then it's even more for Amex. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there's a, usually a transaction fee, which is probably the percentage number you're talking about. Correct, absolutely correct. So I mean, they're making money hand over fist, and yeah. the vendors are saying, "Well, you know, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna sell something to you, then and if you're gonna slide a card, well, I'll, I've just lost money." Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes it's worth the uh, it's worth it to ask a if you've got cash, it's worth it to ask the business you're doing business with if you can get a cash discount. There are some gas pumps that will uh, will actually do that for you. I've seen only a handful of them, but I've seen them out there. There was one down in Sarasota that if you would pay cash, they'd cut you a, you know two or three percent off the price because they didn't have to go through the credit card. Yeah, company. I hear they're not supposed to do that. <laughs> really? Yeah. But you know, the thing is too is. Some some merchants will actually say, you know, if you're going to charge on a card, then there's a minimum, minimum amount. Purchase. That you can buy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, if you did for a dollar, they're not making anything. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes there's a transaction fee. Uh, for instance, what we clear our credit card payments through PayPal. When you use the uh, the Free Talk Live AMP system and you use the credit card page, even if you aren't paying with a PayPal account, if you're just using our secure credit card page, it's actually PayPal that's running the processing on those cards. So, uh, so basically, they charge 2.9%, uh, which, according to what you're saying, is pretty darn affordable compared to a lot of those uh, credit card processors. But it's 2.9%, and then there's also a 30 cent transaction fee on every one of them. So yeah, that would be the reason why if you're buying a, you know, a 50 cent pack of gum and you're the vendor's getting a 30 cent transaction fee, then yeah, you're right. I mean, they're probably losing money on that. So that's why yeah. they have those minim, minimum fees. Yeah, that is Mark said exactly. The Discover and American Express really aren't accepted in a lot of places because I mean, we're, we're talking about mom and pop uh, organizations that are just sitting by and they're like, oh, we're not going to do it because we can't afford it. Yeah, how can you do business like that? Paying 8% for the privilege of accepting American Express cards? I mean, that's nuts. And you know the flip side of the American Express card is you can only spend what you think you can spend because you got to pay that at the end of the month. Right. So it's not like a credit card where you can roll it over with a 21% interest and just, you know, pay minimum until you're dead. It's a charge uh, card as opposed to a credit card or something like that, some way to distinguish it. Wow, I don't even I don't even know what that means. That means you have to pay at the end of the month. Wow, or else, right? No or else. <laughs> I wonder what they wonder what the or else means. Well, it, you know, it's bad for your credit. 
I see. All right. Hey, thanks for the call tonight. 800-259-9231. You can bring up what you want. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can, uh, again, take control of the airwaves. This is your show, Free Talk Live. Government officials like to think they know better than the rest of us. They tell us what we can buy and when we can buy it, everything from guns and booze to cold medicine and cigarettes. Now they've gone even farther. Cities across the country are now trying to tax and ban bottled water. That's right. Simple, no alcohol, no caffeine, no calorie bottled water. They say it's wasteful and buying it is, quote, stupid. But who are they to decide? If politicians decide you shouldn't even be able to buy bottled water, what's next? Visit us at enjoybottledwater.org and sign the petition to keep the nanny state out of our water bottles. This is Free Talk Live. You dial in, bring up anything. Toll-free number 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features we give away, so enjoy those, including live streams. We've got a broadband version, dial-up version, and even a webcam, all completely free for you at listen.freetalklive.com. That's listen.freetalklive.com. If the stories of civil disobedience here in New Hampshire have touched, moved, inspired you, but you can't, for whatever reason, be involved, well, now you can. The Civil Disobedience Evolution Fund at cdevolution.org allows you to care for these brave men and women by financially supporting them while they face down the organizations that operate through violence and coercion. cdevolution.org. All right, 800-259-9231. We continue with your phone calls. Talk to Chris in New Jersey. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Chris. Guys, how are you? Just great, Chris. What's on your mind? Um, I want to talk about vulgar libertarianism. You want to talk about basically, what libertarianism? Vulgar? Vulgar libertarianism. Okay. okay. Tell me about it. Basically, libertarians who support um, non-libertarian things, people who defend our current economic situation as capitalism or the free market, and how they do more harm to libertarianism than the government people do. Okay. What do you mean? Well, how do they do more harm? Well... They'll defend capitalism now as it is, and these people... Basically, people that are, that are supporting the status quo and claiming it to be the free market? I think he, uh, I think he had some phone troubles there. Yeah, his phone. So it sounded to me like he was talking about people, maybe like a Glenn Beck kind of libertarian or something like that, somebody who maybe supports some minor changes in some areas in a liberty direction, but generally is pretty happy with the way things are. And I don't like likes this to... regulation and that regulation, but we need regulations. Right. This is the free, you know, the free market does exist. This is capitalism. So I, I think what he was saying there is that he's frustrated by the fact that there are people out there calling themselves libertarians that aren't even close. And I share that frustration. It, it is the main reason why I last year quit the Libertarian Party after having been involved my entire adult life. And a lot of other people are feeling the same way as I was or were feeling and are feeling the same way as I was and do. And that is that the Libertarian label has lost whatever potency it had, which wasn't much. <laughs> and most people probably still don't really know what a Libertarian is. And what he was talking about there, this wimpy Libertarian or what did he say, a vulgar Libertarian, vulgar. Uh, was, I think, a big factor. I mean, it's confusing to people. Sure it is. 
The first libertarian they meet could be somebody who's a true libertarian and actually believes. It seems more likely that the first one they would meet would be would be somebody who's he's referring to as a vulgar libertarian, as some sort of wishy-washy, at least in some area or another. And yeah. then they get the idea that that's what a libertarian means. Whereas it's you know it's silly. It's like saying, well, Democrats believe this and Republicans believe that. Well, no, they don't. Um, there's lots of pe- there's lots of people inside those spectrums, and you know, libertarians a a label. And to think that all libertarians are going to be exactly the same. Is, well, it's it's pie in the sky. Unfortunately, we can't help ourselves but to be labeled as libertarian because, well, our positions are classically libertarian. I mean, the the definition of libertarian is one who doesn't support or advocate the initiation of force, the aggression against their neighbors in order to uh, to achieve political or social goals. I mean, that you still have to sign that statement when you join the libertarian party, but nobody adheres themselves to it anymore. Nobody seems to really consider that too important these days. And so over time, the libertarian term has shifted from being principled to being somebody who likes smaller government. Yeah. And I will take some smaller government over what I've got today, but I you know, think it can also be dangerous. And it's, I think that's one of the big reasons why a lot of people have a misconception about libertarians, and that is that they're just a bunch of disaffected conservatives. That libertarians are just a wing of the conservative movement and and therefore easily relegated as a, as the crackpot wing of the conservative movement. Mm. And nothing could be further from the truth. The libertarian or liberty movement has people that come to it from all walks of life, from being a former conservative to being a former socialist. I mean, people have been all over the place before they've found liberty. And liberty takes from people that have never even been involved in the political system or have thought much about politics. So from all over the, the spectrum, people come to liberty. But with people like, and I don't mean to keep throwing Glenn Beck's name out there because I think he's moving in the right direction, but Neil Bortz, people like the Glenn Beck's and the Neil Bortz out there that are high-profile people with relatively decent reach. Dennis Miller would call himself a libertarian also. He would, and he's a warmongering uh, sicko. I don't know. I don't, I... He is a warmonger, big okay. time. This guy is all in... Dennis Miller is all in favor of the war on terror and whatever wars are associated with the war on terror. So, I mean, he might be good on marijuana. I don't know about that because he's from Hollywood. So yeah, he probably likely he's probably good on that one. Uh, but, you know, maybe that's why he considers himself a libertarian is because he likes to get high. Right. And, right. Or likes uh, likes marijuana. Right. If you if you believe that marijuana should be legalized and you're a Republican, you're just a Republican that believes that marijuana should be legalized. <laughs> you are not a libertarian. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So so I, I share the frustration. I try to avoid using the term myself as often as I possibly can. But. Like I said, because we advocate liberty, pro-liberty positions, and some people understand that that means that's the true definition of libertarianism, then we'll be, that label will be applied to us. So, like, for instance, uh, today we were in Talker's Magazine, uh, Talker's new uh, March issue, which features the, the Frontier 50. Now, last month we told you about how we made the, the Talker's Heavy 100, which is a pretty big, in my opinion at least, it's a pretty big industry honor. To be included in the in the heavy hundred, the most hundred influential talk show host. Sure has been great for us. And uh, so they followed that up by including us on the Frontier 50, which is the very first time they've ever done a Frontier 50. It's basically the uh, internet shows worthy of mention. It doesn't say it's the most important, but internet shows that we think are really important. And so They're we're doing something. Them. It wasn't ordered, like the, the Heavy 100 is ordered. It was ordered by an alphabet. <laughs> well, right, but it wasn't ordered by any sort of popularity. And if your or, name had just been, last name had been Ardvark, we'd have been off in much better shape. We would have. You, right. yeah, you went and changed your name from a B to an F. Can't help you, man. You backed us down the list, man. <laughs> 
But anyway, we were featured in Talkers, which uh, which is which is great news. So so I don't remember where I was going with it. The point about Talkers, I don't know. But it, but it sure is great. Oh oh, I remember the def- the definition is libertarian, right? They use the term libertarian when they're talking about what Free Talk Live what else is. What would you say? I mean, I just I just don't know. Pro liberty, right? Be nice. <laughs> yeah, that, it, it would be nice, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, that's what it's. That's what the term is supposed to mean. However, people apply it to so many different things. Yeah. So we'll take it. I'll take it, but begrudgingly, and I'll take it with an explanation. You know, if somebody asks me if I'm a libertarian, I'm going to answer no. I'm a voluntarist, and if they want more detail, I'll be happy to give it to them. But yeah, I definitely understand where he was coming from. Let's talk to Brent in Colorado. Continuing with your phone calls, Brent, you're on Free Talk Live. Brent, Hello. hey, you're on the air. Well, I have a bone to pick with Mark about oh, standing for the pledge. Okay. Um, Mark, I I think, I mean, do you, you understand that they have the the reason they have power over you personally is is their illusions, right? I mean, it's not their guns. We have more guns. Okay. You under you you can see that. Does that make sense to you? Sure. And it's not their people it's not their taxes it you know the root of all of that the root of why they can use their guns on us and get away with it and we aren't allowed to use ours on them are their illusions and the root of their illusions of legitimacy and and of the moral high ground etc etc are are the warm fuzzies that you get when you hear the Pledge of Allegiance or God Bless America or see, you know, a veteran in uniform or, or any of these symbols that give uh, the American people these, these warm fuzzy feelings, these feelings of cohesiveness and nationalism and, and being on God's, you know, right side and, and all of this kind of nonsense. And, and that is... That is the problem. That's the real root of the problem, and and it's it's very um, frustrating for me to hear uh, pro liberty people support. I want to bring you back. The, the prop- Hang on, because I, I absolutely agree with you, uh, and of course I'm on your side. I was critiquing Mark when he was talking about standing up for the pledge, and we'll let Mark respond here in moments. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. You can bring up what you want. And more with Brent, your calls about anything coming up. This is Free Talk Live, 800-259-9231. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything if you dial the toll-free number. Brought to you by our friends at SACL CAI, 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You know, I was actually reading something today. I get this industry publication that's got all kinds of good information in it usually. And one of the suggestions was for for on-air people that you not call your advertisers your friends because it sounds cheesy. Like it sounds just unbelievable, right? These are just advertisers. But I think I could consider a Jason Osborne a friend. A Jason Osborne a friend. I mean, he's certainly close. I call him all the time. I've so. met him in person, and uh, he's a hell of a nice guy. We've hung out together. Uh, he's been a longtime sponsor of the show, and so I don't feel uncomfortable about that. I don't feel like it's it's doing it to uh, for effect or anything like that. Yeah. 
So 1-800-259-9231, the number brought to you by SACL CAI. You can also join us on our website at freetalklive.com. we got a lot of features, and we give them all away. Now, if you like this show and you want to get behind Free Talk Live, then you can learn how to promote Free Talk Live at promote dot freetalklive.com whole list of things you can do most of them completely free or very low cost like printing out flyers promote.freetalklive.com we continue with your calls brent is back on the line in colorado now brent as i understood what you were saying before and and tell me if i've uh, misunderstood anything here but basically you were explaining to mark that by him participating in the pledge of allegiance even if it's just standing for it even if you're not even doing the pledge, but just by standing for the Pledge of Allegiance, you are granting it some level of legitimacy. And it's that that perception of legitimacy that people have uh, that surrounds the state. And, of course, the pledge is a, an integral part of all of this. That It's that perception of legitimacy that allows them to get away with their depredations with very little consequences. It allows them to, to enact force, to aggress against our neighbors with uh, very little uh, complaining. Coming. I mean, there's a little complaining, but that's about all you get. There's nothing really serious that happens in response to their aggression. And so I, is that what you were trying to point out? Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I just um, – and it's not even uh, – I think – well, first of all, I think that Mark's uh, desire to, you know, appear legitimate to the spectators, or well, not him personally because he wasn't there, obviously, um, but his desire for liberty activists to appear legitimate to the spectators is a little misguided. Um, just from a sales perspective, people that get offended because you're not standing for the Pledge of Allegiance aren't your prospects for liberty. Now, that's not true. People. You're just wrong there. Um, you know, I, I, I believe me, I, I would be offended. As a matter of fact, I'm slightly offended that people wouldn't stand for the fled, pledge now. Not overly, but slightly. So therefore, am I a prospect for uh, liberty? Um, I think that you're something of an, an anomaly because somebody who got into liberty at a later age than most people do, no, um, as I'm sure you're as I'm sure aware, um, you know, most people don't change their the vast majority of people don't change their political affiliations after a, a fairly young age. I, I don't remember the exact exact statistics, but it isn't. Uh, Bob Schultz from the someone the by Pe- your age isn't likely to change. Bob Schultz um, from the We the People organization said uh, that he was very surprised at all the young people that were involved in the libertarian, the liberty type movements. Now, Bob Schultz is a pretty good liberty oriented kind of guy. Maybe somebody might consider him an ultra conservative, but uh, you know his. His experience is entirely different than what you just said. So, you know, there's a dichotomy. Now, I'd like to, I'd like to make an analogy here, if you will. Um, now, would you agree that, uh, clothes, uh, that clothes don't make the man, that in fact, uh, you know, that, that people are the, the people that they are, no matter what kind of clothes that they wear? Certainly. Okay, great. So, do you think that bums are doing anything, walking around uh, in dirty clothes, smelling like urine, um, doing anything for that movement? Um, no. Okay, great. Then that's what, <laughs> by not standing for the pledge, you are a dirty bum, smelling like urine. The thing is, um, I would still contend that your, first of all, your prospect or changing their minds towards liberty. Now, certainly some older people have been into liberty for a long time or have very, very painfully, amazingly slowly um, um, come around to a liberty viewpoint, but it takes uh, a certain amount of um, 
mental flexibility that kind of disappears as you get older and more and more set in your ways, set in your life, set in uh, the various things that you expect to happen every year, expect to happen every day, expect to happen every week, so on and so forth. Um, you can't change someone's mind. Well, you can't you... change anybody's mind in the first place, but it's much more difficult for an older person to change their mind. And I, I would still contend that older people are going to be a lot more likely to be offended by the standing for the flag. I agree. Or the lack of standing for the I flag. I agree with everything people. you say. However, what you're doing is you're writing off a certain portion of the population because they're too old. And the fact is, those people have things happen to them every day in this country. Somehow the government, which is getting bigger and bigger and more invasive all the time, does something to these people and they say, whoa, something's wrong here. At that point, you have the opportunity to step in and show them the ideas of liberty and um, they're going to have a much... You know, they're, they're going to be much quicker to uh, change their opinions at that point, and I don't think you should just write them off. And uh, by the way, and, and, and now I'd like to turn the question around. What the hell do you think sti- sitting during the flag does for people? Tell me, tell me the PR that that's doing. Um, first of all, I don't think it's for people. I think it's for the individual. Um, as in, uh, how, look, they have control over you, Mark. Because you get warm fuzzies when you hear the national anthem. Like, you, subconsciously or consciously, but, I mean, do you understand that the fact that that you feel those warm fuzzies actually does give them a measure of control? Maybe it's a big measure of control, maybe it's a noticeable measure of control, or maybe it's just a little subconscious, um, you know, inclination to act in a certain way towards government folks as opposed to other folks or whatever but that i don't attach i don't attach the feelings that i have to the national anthem to the government at all i attach it to the land and the people that are america now i can understand that there are a lot of people that do otherwise but for me that's not what's happening so i I ask you what do you think i'm doing what would i be successfully doing by sitting during the the pledge you would be freeing yourself from what? That's what I'm saying. From from the the um, the box of tradition that propagates the whole nonsensical I agree. government I think it's, illusion. I, ag- that's, I absolutely that's agree. I think it's, it's personally empowering to do things like this. And, and again, Mark is the same kind of guy who's not – he's going to stand for a judge in court because he doesn't want to look disrespectful to their system. And that's what it is, right? Sitting during the pledge is disrespecting their system. Sitting uh, when a judge walks in the room is disrespecting their system. And uh, it's a very empowering and a somewhat scary thing to do uh, to engage in these things. And, you know, people like Mark, they're just not willing to make those choices for themselves and you know just kind of leave them there right yeah well i'm sure he seems to be coming along pretty well yeah well we're not we're not going to stand for the pledge and so people are going to see this happen more and more as more people start to have the courage to uh to step away from the pack to step out of the box as uh you had suggested brent uh to step out of that box and that's going to i to answer your question mark i believe that not standing for the pledge or not standing for a judge or whatever other non-silly status nonsense we've been indoctrinated to to believe and to do i think it can attract attention 
I think the yes, people it certainly does. And so and does some the bum uh, that's dirty and unwashed and smells like some pee. will be put. You know, that's an unfair analogy. Some of the attention will be positive and some of it will be negative. Whereas not too much attention positive is going to be given to uh, a bum smelling like pee. Tell but me about some, the positive uh, message, uh, the positive things that happened as a result of uh, Jesse burning the flag the, uh, on voting day. People had conversations. Now you're bringing flag burning uh, burning into this. Same stuff. People had. It's not really the same. It's it's it's, it's all right there in the same little amorphous zip code. Well, people had conversations, it started discussions, people asked questions. Some people got angry, and some people are always going to get angry when you challenge the status quo. You can I mean, if you just want to tie your hands behind your back and beg permission from these people, that's what they want you to do. But if you step outside of the box and you start disobeying, you start non-cooperating, even with the most basic things of, you know, not pledging allegiance to the statist uh, indoctrination. Well, I'm thinking that a flag burning is kind of like, you know, that's kind of like not standing for the judge a hundred times. You know, that's a pretty big one. Um, and it's been six months now. You, you've, you've really had the opportunity to convert these people from, uh, you know, Jesse's flag burning uh, incident. How many of them have been converted to uh, the libertarian? How many come into social? I don't know. You should talk stuff? to Jesse. None. Uh, so anyway, Brent, your thoughts? Any other thoughts? Um, yeah, I guess my, my final, uh, final argument is just, you know, the, the day that you go into a meeting like that, and there's free staters there and everybody else there and somebody says now we could please get you to stand for the net or for the, not for the national anthem for the pledge of allegiance same thing though uh, and everybody just laughs in their faces one like at that point the state is dead there there's no fight to win at that, that point it's over yeah but i don't think you get there by uh, you know making a, a scene of yourself i look forward to uh, when mark's the only one in the audience at a city council meeting who's standing for the pledge because we've packed it with free staters that are willing to sit down thanks for the call hour three's coming up if people want to get offended that's their problem they could ask questions and talk You ever have one of those days where everything goes right? First, I get the best parking space at work. Tonight, I have a date with the very lovely Rachel. And today, I gave a killer presentation in Sydney, finalized the contract in London, and demoed our new product in Boston. Online, from my desk, with WebEx. WebEx lets me take meetings and give presentations from my desk. I just talk to clients on the phone, and they watch what's happening on my desktop from their desktop. So I can travel the world and still be here for my date tonight with Rachel. Travel less, meet online. Go to WebEx.com and try WebEx free. Just click the radio graphic and enter promo code 600 to get a free trial and a free webcam, too. Remember that code 600 to qualify for the free webcam. WebEx, now part of Cisco and used by more than 5.5 million people every month. Give it a try, free. Go to WebEx.com and enter the promo code 600. WebEx.com. Free webcams available while supplies last. Terms and restrictions apply. See website for details. This is Free Talk Live. We are launching to Hour 3, and you can bring up whatever you want if you dial toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 800-259-9231, as we continue here uh, into Hour 3, taking your calls about anything. Let's talk to... We're going to go to Jason in Connecticut. Jason, you are on Free Talk Live. Hi, how you doing? Hey, what's on your mind tonight, Jason? Uh, well, basically, this happened at the St. Patty's Day that they have here in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. You know New Haven? Yeah, I'm familiar with New Haven. I uh, don't know it well, but been through it. Yeah, well, basically, um, I was just, this was after the parade, and I was just preaching to people about freedom because I can't help it. I really can't. And um, 
People get excited about the, the message of freedom. There's no doubt about it. Unfortunately, that excitement can sometimes translate into poor communication. But what were your what were your experiences? Go ahead. Exactly. I think that's my problem. But I just like people. Like, I talk to them softly. I don't yell or anything. But I was making my way into a bar. And the bouncer, he pushed me away. He wouldn't let me in. And then two officers rushed right when they saw that. And right when the officers rushed towards me, I had my hands up the whole time. I was like, whoa, whoa. Like, what did I do? What did I do? And they... Before I even said anything, they were like, give me your ID. Where's your ID? And I said, no. I said, what did I do? What did I do? And they had no answer for me. So they kept asking for my ID, and I said, I'm a free man. I said, I was born in Connecticut. I was like, I'm a free person. I'm a free man. I did nothing wrong. Next thing I know, I get hit three times over the face. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. Yeah. And they took my cell phone because my cell phone was in my hand. After I got hit, I was in a daze. I did not know what was going on. Well, anyways. There's going to be an ongoing investigation. I went to Internal Affairs. It feels like it's going to take forever, though. But So were you was, arrested I, after that, after they hit you? No, I was not arrested. They were, I think they were waiting for me to retaliate. But my hands were up the whole time. They hit me three times. There was people around. They didn't do anything. That's amazing. Now, why, why, was, why wasn't the bouncer letting you in the bar? Because of, I guess, they saw the nonsense that I was speaking, because I was preaching to everybody. Oh, so I was you're trying to tell them that freedom isn't free. So you have to. Were you talking to people like on the street corner or something like that? Or? Everybody, everybody, everyone. I see. Everyone. So basically, you were making a commotion, and this bouncer didn't want to let you in the bar. And now, how many times did you try to get into the bar? I mean, were you being a pest? Nope. First time, one time. So you Once walked up. He put said, his hand you... up. "So the bouncer, the bouncer touched put you." His hand up to me. Yeah, he put his hand up to me. Said, "You're not coming in." And one, there was two cops around there. They saw that. Because cops in that city, they look for problems. They look for a reason to to react. So once they saw that, they rushed over. They pushed me across the street. My hands were up the whole time. Even as they hit me, my hands were still up because somehow I controlled all my anger. And I didn't Crazy. I didn't hit them because I knew Good if I you. hit them, I was going to get arrested. Oh, yeah. If you definitely, if you had escalated that, then they would have get, they had the excuse to do all kinds of awful things to you. I mean, it's, it's, it's outrageous what they did. Uh, but it could have been worse, right? I mean, they could have, uh, as you say, arrested you. They could have beaten you even further uh, into submission. When did they That's decide to turn around and leave? After I didn't do anything, they hit me three times, and after I didn't do anything. I was just like, in a, my head was down. Like I was just so ashamed of what just happened. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And they took my cell phone, and they just, they just walked away. Literally. So they have your, they took your, they have your cell phone. Well, who knows where it is now? Because I called Verizon. And I asked them to locate my cell phone, but they said they couldn't because they need a court order. And it has to be a missing persons case. Hmm. But who knows? Well, you can have them turn your cell phone off. I mean, you can you can get another phone and and switch it over to that. And you said right, you've actually gotten phone. in touch with the, the the police department to try to retrieve it. What what happened there? Oh yeah, I'm doing a whole investigation with Internal Affairs. And, so um, when did this go down? How recent was this? March. March 16th. So actually. a couple couple weeks ago then. Mm-hmm. And what is it? What's the what's the process like, by the way? I mean, when you went in to uh, to start I this went, investigation, did you know any of the cops' names? Mm-hmm. I went to the New Haven Police Department right after that. Uh, actually, like two uh, an hour and a half after that. And uh, well, actually, I originally came to my hometown. I'm from like ten minutes away from there, and I came to that police department. They said they couldn't help me. Yeah. I came there and I told them. I said, "This is what happened." And New Haven cops beat me. 
They said, well, we can't help you. You have to go there. Yeah, sorry, we don't we don't right. help our citizens that uh, get a beat up by a fellow law enforcement. Yes. Right, and and <laughs> good luck calling a police department and trying to register a complaint over the phone or something yeah. like that. They're going to want you to come down there to the very same station where the very same thug cops work and have some glower at you. Yeah, and, and talk in that circumstance. I forgot to tell you, I did call 911 with um, my friend that I ran into because there was a whole bunch of people there. My friend I ran into, I called 911, and they literally could not do anything for me. I said, two cops just assaulted me. Can you send a car here? And they said, you have to go uh, file a complaint. Right, you have to file an administrative complaint, which is, I mean, if we had Sam on the show tonight, I'm sure he would talk about how uh, one could file criminal charges against these guys, but they won't help you do that. The, those who are in the system will not help you do such a thing, and, and like we still have yet to experiment brother. with that. Yeah, it's like your brother going against your own brother. They yep. won't do that. Yep, good. It's a good old boys network. It's the thin blue line. They close around their ranks. They guard their own. And will you let us know what happens with the internal oh, affairs investigation? Will. Actually, my name is Pete, too. You said they said Jason. It's Pete. Oh, okay. Well, hey, Pete, and thank you for the call, and uh, glad you're okay, and sorry to hear about all that. It's That's what people are dealing with, though, right now, with uh, with rogue cops being able to get away with hurting people, just being aggressive and and. Awful. I mean, I've got a story that will tie right into this about the uh, you know, the government guys killing more people's dogs. I mean, these it's amazing what these people can get away with, whether it's beating a 15-year-old girl in a jail cell half to death or it's killing some family's dogs for no reason whatsoever. Here's a quick story from typepad.com, bothwell.typepad.com, where government invaders costumed in paramilitary gear broke into the home of Rita Patterson and William Hannavan on Saturday looking for a drug suspect and narcotics. Reports the Buffalo News. Police left the premises without finding any drugs or even arresting anyone. But not before terrorizing an innocent family and executing their two dogs for no reason at all, according to 68-year-old Daniel Patterson, who lives with his daughter. Rita said she's she, probably a criminal at 70-year-old. Rita Patterson said she was cooking dinner in the kitchen when she heard loud noises at the side door. Hanovan was upstairs taking a nap, and at first she thought he may have fallen out of bed. Before she knew what was happening, police wearing masks and helmets and carrying automatic weapons had broken through the door. They tied her hands with a zip tie and put her on the floor. Her father pleaded with police not to shoot the dogs, but they wouldn't allow him to grab the dogs to put them into another room, Patterson said. You know, he might they busted in the house. I yeah. mean, these are strangers from else, uh, you know, outside. That's what suppo- dogs are supposed to do. One of the officers started firing a shotgun at the two dogs, one a pit bull and the other a pit bull boxer mix. Mm. One of the dogs was shot three times, once in the throat, once in the back, and the last time in the leg while trying to run away, according to Rita. Yeah, did he incapacitate, you know, he really incapacitated the dog by shooting it three times. The other dog was cowering behind a table. Neither was a threat to the police, say the residents. This atrocious behavior, according to the story, is the police state personified. The state's armed thugs have a legal right to trespass on our property, brandishing weapons the rest of us aren't even allowed to own, use them in manners that would get private citizens thrown in jail, and are under no obligation to ensure their information is even accurate before engaging in tactics that put the lives of law-abiding citizens at risk. Even if they had the right house in this particular case... It's still not a justification for what they're doing. And, of course, the whole justification overall for this is the war on drugs, which is just an insane war against our friends and family and results in stories like this coming out all of the time. I can't count the number of dog-killing stories that we've read on this show. It's been more than five. It's, it, it, stands, it looks like standard operating procedure. 
Well, yeah, you, yeah it's, it's pretty easy to shoot a dog and get away with it. I mean, how many people are going to hire a lawyer to go after you for shooting their dog? Not very many, right? So if you're a sicko and a sadist and an adrenaline junkie, then it gives you the opportunity to pull the trigger on the shotgun during your raid. And you don't have to go away with any human bodies on your hands. Can you just imagine work, working with a shotgun every day and not being able to see something splatter red and disgusting all over the wall? Every I can't while. imagine that, yes, because I'm not a sicko. As abhorrent as it was that this family's pets were killed before their eyes, just imagine what might have happened had Hannafin or the Pattersons had the audacity to actually defend their home and dogs from these terrorists. One, unfortunately, need not engage in much speculation, given the president, uh, the precedent rather, has already been set. In the 1995 case Wilson versus or Weisson rather versus Arkansas, the Supreme Court ruled that Fourth Amendment required police to knock and announce themselves before entering a private home. A decision intended to protect not only innocent suspects but also police who could be mistaken by homeowners for criminal intruders. However, the exceptions the court allowed have set into motion widespread and unbridled assaults on our civil liberties that have manifested themselves in the war on substances the state would rather have you not ingest. We'll explain a little bit more about this and what they're doing to people, their freedoms and their dogs, and take your calls about whatever you want. This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You dial toll-free 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, 800 800- 259-9231, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features we give to you, so enjoy those on us, including the bulletin board system. We've got over 450,000 posts. There's a lot to talk about, from serious issues to fun stuff. you find it all free over at bbs.freetalklive.com. That's bbs.freetalklive.com. Are you frustrated with the lack of freedom where you live? Tired of uh, the oppressive state intruding into your business and personal life? If you knew thousands of liberty-loving people were all moving to the same place and getting active, would you join them? You can. Join the Free State Project at freestateproject.org. As 2009 shapes up to be a really big year for the Free State Project, uh, more people moving this direction. I hear the counter on the Free State Project homepage is going to be over 700 soon. Which is pretty cool. That's for movers, and that's going to be over 9,200 for 700 signers. participants in state, yes. okay. not 700 movers. But it's probably like 500 movers or 450 movers or something like that. I think that I think we started with about 200-something people that were already here before the, the New Hampshire was voted as the Free State Project destination state. Uh, so lots of things are working out to be pretty exciting. I know that uh, Pete... Pete uh, Pete Ayer is coming here uh, from Bureaucrash, except he's not going to be from Bureaucrash. I don't know what, how much more I can say about that, but there's some pretty exciting stuff that's going to be happening in less than a week's time here, uh, specifically in Keene, New Hampshire. So let's continue here and talk about the story from bothwell.typepad.com about another no-knock raid, about another raid that uh, involved police crashing through some innocent family's door running into their home with guns pointed, blasting their two dogs, destroying their lives, uh, killing both of the dogs, uh, hurting the family's vision of what the police were all about. I mean, this is, talk about a shock to the system. If you thought the police were your friends and then they come in and do that to you, Mm. that's pretty harsh. Got to be shocking. You know, we're talking about this, again, this article is talking about Weissen versus Arkansas, a 1995 case that required the police to knock and identify themselves before entering a private home. 
Now, as Bradley Balco explains from The Agitator, he says Wilson, or now it's spelled Wilson, anyway, Wilson didn't eliminate no-knocks. In its decision, the court recognized three broad exceptions called exigent circumstances to the announcement requirement. So, the police have to announce themselves except in these circumstances. The most pertinent of these state that if police believe that announcing themselves before entering would present a threat to officer safety, or if they believe that a suspect is particularly likely to destroy the evidence, they may enter a home without first announcing their presence. So that basically gives them the full the full loophole they need to say right. we're scared, so we're gonna just not announce ourselves. Right, and this is this is completely a drug war issue because yes, if a drug dealer knows that the cops are at the door, he could run to the potty and flush all his coke down the toilet, assuming it's not that much. But yeah, it depends on how much coke. Right, I mean if you're trying to pl- flush a kilo down um, in you know in that <laughs> amount of time, you're gonna have a little trouble, but. You're not talking about a guy, a murderer trying to flush down body parts down a toilet. It's just not going to yeah. work. This is completely a drug war issue. So there you go. Dogs are being killed because of the drug war. Our Fourth Amendment completely, almost completely eroded because of the drug war. Right. And anybody who one of the other con- consequences, which was unintended, unintended on the part of the police, is that anybody who gets some police supply store stuff like some police jackets which are not hard to acquire. No. Nope. Anybody who gets some police jackets and some police badges can uh, show up strapped with some guns and literally come into anybody's home because who's going to fight back against the police? If they look like the police and they're yelling, the, hey, open up, it's the police, then people are going to believe them. And whether they're the police or not shouldn't matter. They're, they're armed intruders invading people's homes. Well, they know that if they fight back that the police are uh, better trained, better armed, and they're going to murder them and their entire family. Right, so whether you're up and against... get away with it. If you're up against the police department, you know that's going to happen. But if you're up against a smaller gang, say a smaller private gang that has decided to dress as the police, you don't know that it's a private gang, so you'll treat them like the police and not do anything. If you knew it was a private gang, you could probably get away with fighting back in a lot of places to defend yourself. But if it's a private gang dressed like the police, you'd probably be too, be too scared to fight back against them. Yeah, in that circumstance, the gang uh, enterprises off the, the police's uniform. And if it wasn't so common that police busted into people's houses, uh, then you wouldn't see this happening. But, you know, it's just it's, it all, it's all the drug war, people. A legal no-knock raid can happen in one of two ways. Police can make the case for exigent circumstances to a judge who then issues a no-knock warrant. Or police can determine at the scene that the exigent circumstances exist and then just make a call for a no-knock raid on the spot. In the latter case, courts will determine after the fact if the raid was legal. And what do you think they're going to determine? It's their buddies. Extraordinarily rare, unless there's videotape for cops to get in trouble. I don't know about you, says the article writer, but it seems to me that allowing police to determine for themselves the circumstances justifying no-knock entry essentially invalidates any requirement to approach a judge beforehand. After all, the state is the ultimate judge in conflicts involving itself, so the chances that it will rule against itself are between slim and none. And Balco indeed finds ten, uh, his findings tend to support the assertion. In the real world, says Balco, the exigent circumstances exception have been so broadly interpreted that since Wilson, they've overwhelmed the rule. No-knock raids have been justified on the flimsiest of reasons, including that the suspect was a licensed, registered gun owner. Or that the mere presence of indoor plumbing could be enough to trigger the destruction of evidence exception. 
In fact, many places, or in many places, the announcement requirement is now treated more like an antiquated ritual than compliance with a suspect's constitutional rights. In 1999, for example, the assistant police chief of El Monte, California, explained his department's preferred procedure to the L.A. Times. He said, We do bang on the door and make an announcement. It's the police. But it kind of runs together. If you're sitting on the couch, it would be difficult to get to the door before they knock it down. Yeah, that's about right. So basically, they're announcing it's the police as as the concrete uh, filled block slams through the door. So good luck even understanding what it is they're yelling as your door is being smashed in. Well, it, you'll you'll understand enough to know not to react, uh, you know, violently, it, which is exactly what the criminals who dress like the police yeah. want. Yep, give up all your property, give up all your freedom, uh, and hopefully you'll live you'll leave with your life, right? Yeah. Legalities aside, no one, whether the private citizen or the government agent, has a moral right to trespass on private property with the intent to initiate violence against nonviolent targets, much less carry out these threats by unilaterally inflicting damage to private property and harm on human beings. Moreover, if you're inclined to excuse such tyrannical behavior, even under select circumstances, consider the fact that when police kill innocent civilians during the course of these violent home invasions, and they do, they generally receive a paid vacation followed by the inevitable return to active duty. They find it so often, like 99% of the time, that the cops were just A-OK. Everything was by the book here. There's nothing wrong with just running into people's homes, blazing our guns at their dogs, and shooting children. nothing that happens to these guys unless there's video... Uh, you know, to the contrary, essentially is how it operates. Unless you, for some reason, happen to have video of the cops busting into your house, because don't expect them to give up the video of themselves busting into your house. Whereas, if you or I happen to kill a cop while attempting to defend ourselves or our families from faceless assailants during the course of an immoral SWAT raid, we're looking at the death penalty or life behind bars. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can bring up whatever you want. Your calls about anything. Coming up, this is Free Talk Live. This program is brought to you by Freekeen.com. Freekeen.com features audio, video, and blogs chronicling the transition to a voluntary society. Freekeen.com also has comments and discussion forums so you can be heard. Freekeen.com. This is Free Talk Live. You can dial toll-free and bring up whatever you want. 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. Join us online at freetalklive.com. The features we give away. So enjoy those, including the archives. If you've missed a moment of the show, click and download. They are yours free over at freetalklive.com. Back for an entire year, all free. Left-hand side of the page, freetalklive.com. Do you have a company that needs to try something new in the area of collections? SACL CAI does collections, early out billing, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL's employees are trained in resolving issues for your customers and treating them with respect. They know that not only do you want to collect your money, but you want to keep your clients, too. It's SACL CAI. You can see their banner at freetalklive.com. 1-800-259-9231. Let's continue with your phone calls and talk to John, listening to KBYO in Louisiana. Hello, John. Hey, how are you doing? What's on your mind tonight? Listen, just a, just a rebuttal. You guys allow those. I've listened to you for a while. And uh, just if I can just give you just a short synopsis and, a, and a retrospect to some of the statements you made about some of these entries. A lot of thought goes into these entries and time and preparation before these guys go in there. I was a police officer for 11 years in the West Coast and in the South. 
and I've uh, been involved with quite a few. And the element of surprise is imperative to really a lot of people, to be honest with you. How many, uh, unfortunately, how many raids did you go on? I, I've probably been on, uh, I'd say, 11. Of the 11 raids, how many of them were drug-related? I would probably say 10. What was the other one? The other one was looking for a person that had uh, committed harm to his, uh, another family member and both locked himself inside the house. So you knew he was in there or you thought he was in there? No, I knew he was in there. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't think that we, uh, you know, I, I, I basically say that this is a drug war related thing. So we want to get rid of the drug war. I do think that it makes perfectly good sense to me that police would need to bust into people's houses. But you've said here that even in your circumstance, less than 10% of them were, uh, and I would say that we're even talking fewer than those, uh, fewer than 10%, but um, that less than 10% of them were would be something other than drug-related. I'm only saying legalize all drugs and you'll, you won't have this problem. Are you serious? Absolutely. Did you uh, hear the, see the Huffington Post article? That, did you hear about that that we talked about earlier tonight? No, sir. I, I apologize. I put my little girl to bed, and I'm in route to work. So. Excellent. Um, the uh, the you know the 701st richest man in the world, according to Forbes magazine. He happens to be a Mexican drug lord. I think his right. name's El Chup. <laughs> or something right. awful like that. El um, right. Yeah, something like that. And he he, he was uh, I, I believe it was he was talking to a friend of his over the uh, over a, um, a cooler with uh, two men's heads on ice in it. And he said, "I want to thank George Bush Senior, George Bush Junior, even El Presidente Obama for making me one of the richest men in the world. If it wasn't for their war on drugs, I wouldn't be able to do this." It sounds like a scene out of The Sopranos, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm not going to say politics don't play a part, and in, in to some certain extent, but we we should we try to separate ourselves from a lot of other people. We can't if he wants to use that as his you know his motivation or his escape route or goat, uh, then that's his business. But uh, do you mind if I just make one more point? I know sure. I, I, you can, but I don't understand what you said. His escape route. What what were you okay, getting? Okay, okay. Let, let me let me let me take a deep breath and sit here. Yeah, please. Just because if somebody makes that statement. How, in your mind, do you validify making narcotics legal? I believe that you should be able to put whatever you want in your body. I think that, uh, you know, marijuana is no more dangerous than alcohol. And I think that there are things out there that you can put in your body legally that are as dangerous uh, and addictive as cocaine and uh, heroin. I think that those are just, as a matter of fact, they've been legal in America longer than they have been illegal. All drugs were legal at one time, and we have the same amount, percentage-wise, we have the same amount of drug addicts today as we did back when all of the drugs were completely legal. Uh, the thing that we have today are a bunch of no-knock raids. We've got people, uh, you know, having their dogs killed over this insane war on drugs. We've got over 800,000 people being arrested just for marijuana possession alone every single year. Another 800,000 or so being arrested for various other drug possession. We're having families torn apart. We're having lives destroyed. The drug war itself is far more dangerous to human freedom than the whatever the side effects of the drugs might be, sir. Your thoughts? I'd- I, I totally understand. I don't dispute some of the issues that you have, but what I do have a problem with, if, if you're going to do something like that, wouldn't you, sit, wouldn't you say that there needs to be regulations? Because there's, some of these things are, are altering. So if you legalize a lot of these things and it impairs their ability to think, react, or, re, or maybe put somebody else's life in jeopardy when they get behind a wheel, a truck, a, a gun, or anything else, 
Where's those sense of liability go to? Well, um, when, if you shoot somebody while you're drunk, you go to prison and you do the time for shooting somebody. It doesn't matter whether right. you're drunk or not. If you get behind right. the wheel while you're drunk, you get a ticket or you you know you you, you pay the consequences for getting behind the wheel. However, right. drinking the alcohol is not illegal. It's the action that you do while being drunk that is illegal. And I think that that's the same. That that should be the same for whatever drug that it should uh, be dealt you deal with. with. Yeah, I mean, if somebody's harming another person uh, or putting another person at risk, uh, threatening harm. Then yeah, you've got a you've got a crime there. But somebody getting high in their house and taking a you know a walk down the street isn't harming anybody, and yet they are risking arrest and a possible life in a prison cell uh, for wanting to alter their state of consciousness. I totally understand that, but don't you think you're creating a scene for more violence? And because the good portion, I say, a good portion of the people that are doing it to themselves, fine, let them do it to themselves. Okay. But when it affects other people. And in other people's lives, don't you think you'd have more criminal activity? Allow more me to war? explain. Uh, the reason why it affects other people is because it's illegal. And, and the reason why uh, it's affecting people is because it being illegal, drugs, whatever drug you want to mention, any, if it's illegal, the same thing happens. It goes underground. The mob takes a hold of it. People like El Chupo or whatever his name is. Uh, the uh, price is driven up by thousands of thousands times. of percents. <laughs> the, the prices are so much higher because of the black marketplace. So... People that are hooked on these drugs, methamphetamine, uh, cocaine, crack, people that are hooked on these drugs are going to do whatever it takes to get their hands on their next hit. Should we market that? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead. Oh, well, I'm explaining to you that these people are willing to go and hold up a convenience store. They're willing to go and break into your house while you're home and try right. to steal things or harm to, you know, hold you up at gunpoint. That's where my, the violence comes from is because the drugs are so expensive. My family's in danger. My, 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 my one-year-old son's in danger because of the war on drugs because crack is illegal and because methamphetamine's illegal. I've never done that stuff, uh, you know, and certainly never brought it into my home. My wife's certainly never done that, but I have to, you know, I have to live in a world where somebody could do that in order to get money for those drugs. If those drugs were legal, they'd cost as much as aspirin. Yep. Nobody's knocking over convenience stores to get their hands on a six-pack. Uh, nobody's knocking right. over a convenience store robbing you at gunpoint to buy cigarettes, though as they continue pack, uh, tacking t- new taxes on packs of cigarettes, those things become more and more likely. But the more legal a product is, the safer the uh, situation surrounding that product becomes. Does that make sense? Well, from, from if I were sitting in your seat, yes, it would if I was, because, we, you know, it's amazing we can justify whether it's buying a car that our wife doesn't want to get or something, whatever our hobbies are, just about anything. And so you think I'm a drug user? It doesn't have to do with sitting no, no, no. in my seat, sir. It has to do with looking at history and looking at the situation today and, and observing what's going on. Are you familiar I, I, with alcohol prohibition? Yes, sir, I am. I, and I wouldn't, I'm not trying to be argumentative with you. I That's just, okay. I we would... like a good discussion here, and this is my pet issue, so you've, uh, you've stumbled onto a good one here. Uh, but you're familiar with alcohol prohibition. What were the effects of alcohol prohibition? Violence. Yeah. Wasn't there violence and then, and then uh, some, uh, definitely some murders besides, I mean, becoming of that? Right. Did people stop drinking? No. Okay, so you're putting it together now. So you've got uh, violence was a result of prohibition. No one stopped drinking. So we know that the mafia and the mob were the ones that were supplying the alcohol. And, of course, they're willing to kill one another in order to gain the territory necessary and, to, to and distribute alcohol it. alcohol is a much more violent drug than really any other drug out there. I mean, PCP. How many, maybe PCP. I've heard of angel dust where a guy, you know, like picks up a picnic table and swats three people with it or something like that. But I've, that's, I've a, seen it. Yeah. that's about <laughs> it. Um, I mean, you've never gotten a wrestling match as 
a cop with a, uh, with a dope smoker, did you? Uh, with a dope smoke, yeah, I had a couple wrestling matches with some dope smokers. Stoned people? Dope? What is your term for dope, Mark? Do you mean marijuana? marijuana? Oh, no, I'm sorry. The most, when you, did you say dope people? Is that what you said? Yeah, I, I said Hang on, I'm I gonna bring you back. We're going to bring you back. Hang on here. I don't know if you're still a cop or a former cop, but we'll find that out here in moments. More with John. Your calls as well. 800-259-9231. You can bring up anything even in these remaining moments. It is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You dial toll-free and bring up anything. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. And it's Ian here with you. And Mark. Even in these remaining moments, just enough time to sneak your call in. 800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features we give away. Now, if you like this show, you want to help support Free Talk Live, become a Free Talk Live amplifier for as little as 3 bucks a month. We take that money in, reinvest it into the show, and get on more radio stations. Around the country, bring more internet listeners on from around the world and help new people get exposed to the ideas of freedom. So if that's valuable to you and you want to get behind the show, head over to amp.freetalklive.com. You'll get perks, too, like the amp-only call-in lines, chat room, forum, and more. All the details are at amp.freetalklive.com. Let's continue with John listening in Louisiana to KBYO. Now, John, you said you were formerly a police officer. Are you still currently involved in law enforcement? No, sir. I, I, I have a lot of my friends. are. I spent 11 years and... Uh, Moved back to the south, and, it, and for me, uh, I have three children, and uh, I, I needed to school and, and further my education. Now I work in, in the uh, hospital business. Now but, I know you uh, had said you had another point you wanted to make, but I wanted to make yes. sure we finished up our conversation about Thank prohibition you. briefly here. And so I was drawing uh, okay. a comparison between today's prohibition of drugs and the past prohibition of a different drug, alcohol. And you saw the you saw clearly the effects of what alcohol prohibition did. And now I'm trying to get you to see that it's a parallel, that the exact same things are happening here, but it's actually worse now in many cases. Because I mean, if you think about this, we were talking about the violence that's associated with with drugs, right? Well, it's associated with it because of prohibition. But imagine back, you know, when you're in the alcohol prohibition. Days. If somebody's got their moonshine or their whatever it is that was being distributed, and they drink too much, they're gonna pass out, right? They're gonna. I mean, there's a there's a chance they're gonna get violent with their family members, or whatever. As most as as a lot of not most, but a lot of drunks do. But eventually, if they drink too much, they're gonna puke and they're gonna pass out. Whereas with crack cocaine, somebody takes a hit of crack, and they want another one, and then they want another one, and then they want right. another one. And then it just it just keeps going and going. They'll go for a whole weekend just with no sleep, just binging on That's crack cocaine. That's kind of rare. I mean, they they do want to sleep. It, well, I don't know, Mark. How many crackheads have you uh, have you known? I was in prison for nine years. Dude. Okay, I've known a lot of crackheads. <laughs> all right, all right. That's fine. I'm just telling you what I've what I my understanding of a crack addict is is they just want to keep going out and getting more Let crack the cops when, speak. They, when they run out. So what I'm saying crack. is it's it's more dangerous today than it was in the past. And so if we actually care about people, we need to end the war on drugs. Your thoughts? Okay, I appreciate your your conversation with me. I appreciate your your ideas and thoughts on it. My my problem is, and I'll do a quick synopsis for you. I went on a, a call one time. I went into this room on a non-breather, and the, the room, the guy was, the little guy was 13. The room was full of High Time magazines, purple lamps, et cetera, et cetera. I make a long story short. I took him down. He had, he had hung himself into this autoerotic asphyxiation sort of wow. deal, and and he had blood tests come back to the, you know, marijuana, and the, the the little guy ended up passing away as we tried to do the CPR, administer CPR, yeah, and the, the poor little guy and. 
you know, for me, that was, you know, I've seen every death of the imaginable man. I've unfortunately had to be a part of it. And, and, and I've seen some of the outcomes and effects a lot of people aren't privy to. And for me, there are different drugs. It's not apples to apples. You can't compare alcohol to right some CNS, central nervous system, that's really going to affect you differently. But you My can compare the you... effects of prohibition, and the effects of prohibition are the same. And I might point out that the, the horrible things that you've seen, you've seen under prohibition. You haven't seen a legal system where, or a system of decriminalization where these people that may be hooked on various substances are not afraid to go and get the help that they might be needing. And in the case of the young man that choked himself to death, could have been he's, he could have been a sex freak. I mean, who And he could have smoked 30 days ahead of, before that. I mean, you know. That, that's right. You know what? And I, I can't argue that, that thought that you have. But my thing is this. Here's what, what scares me. With the children, if you legalize it, it's hard to get alcohol in the school. They're going to get it. Kids are, and, and everybody's going to do what they're going to do. That's fine. Yeah. But my fear are for the children. If you legalize it, it's very – for me, you give car blocks to whoever wants it. You know, we don't want any more violence. That's going to affect a target group of people, right. But you know what? It's going to affect a lot of the kids in school, too, and the little ones coming up. How can you justify saying to your child, well, drugs are, are – you don't do them, but they're legal? Well, um, the same way you handle – the same way you handle alcohol and any other uh, you know, topic with your, your child. But the evidence okay. is in the countries that it has been legalized or decriminalized in that, in fact, usage in young people goes down. And likely it's because of the for- forbidden fruit aspect of it. Yeah. If you could be shown that that was true, then would you change your mind? I, I don't know. <laughs> also, it's an honest answer. Also, um, before you go on, uh, college or excuse me, high school age uh, students, uh, you know, when polled, will say that it's easier for them to get a marijuana, which is illegal, than it is for them to get alcohol, which is legal. I agree to that. Okay, I, I agree but, to but that, that contradicts you, you. Do you understand the problem? No, with no, no. I'm not saying it, I didn't. No, it's not contradicting me because. I didn't say that they couldn't. I can't say that they can't get any drug there is now. I'm just saying it would be more prevalent where people will not be afraid to fear the repercussions of carrying stuff to school with them. But we're telling you well, – hold on. We're telling you that it will be less prevalent. All of the evidence says it will be less prevalent, that there have been other countries that have decriminalized drugs, and, it, and teenagers are not using drugs as much as they used to in the past when the drugs were criminalized. So all of the evidence contradicts your fears. So if you could be shown that your fears were irrational and justified on nothing but fear, then would you be open to changing your viewpoint? You know, I, I, I'd really have to sit down and look at the numbers. Here's what and, you need to do, have... then. Here's what you need to do, and I'll let you still get to your other point, whatever it was. But here's what you need to do. Go and visit law enforcement against prohibition. I know you're just hearing right. it from a, from a couple of yokels on the radio here tonight. But go to uh, leap.cc, L-E-A-P, okay. law enforcement against prohibition, yeah. leap.cc. Right. These are former cops just like you who have worked in, you know, they've worked on SWAT teams. They've done the undercover operations. They've been there. They know the war on drugs like the back of their hand. And these right. cops have come out and they've said, this is insanity. We need to stop this. And they've got all the numbers that you need. They've got all the statistics. And there are some really Really great persuasive uh, police, former police officers, and some current uh, police officers involved in that group. So that said, what was the other thought? My only other thing was, and 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 not defense, but from people that involved. I've had, I've lost my best friend in the line of duty, and I've buried six others in the line of duty. And you're more fear of of the ramifications in the administration, administrative aspect of it, when you pull your gun and you fire it. And I promise you, people, police officers that are out there now may be listening to this will, will justify that. And when, you, when there is a discharge of a firearm, your, your, your handgun gets taken from you. You get interviewed. 
And yes, you're on administrative leave that's paid, but I can I can promise you for the friends of mine that have been involved in it, it was no vacation. Your stomach, you have family, you you, you have all these fears, but they're they they should they know. And I'm not saying there aren't people John, that don't, sir. John, I was I was I understand where you're coming from, John. I have I worked with law enforcement officers very closely. I was uh, the staff canteen operator in in prison for like six years out of the nine years I was there, and I, yes, I'm sir. intimately intimately involved with uh, you know that level of uh, law enforcement, and I've talked to many afterwards and. You know what? I'm of the opinion that the vast majority of police are either, you know, good people that got into it for the right reason or people that just kind of got a job and they're just doing it. But there's a percentage of them, and I don't know exactly what that percentage is, but it's 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 certainly not above 50 of them that are power-hungry masochists, sadists. And those I guys, if they feel like shooting a dog, like, the, you know, on one of these raids is their opportunity to do it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I tell you what, I had a problem with the Dallas incident, and uh, and I'm sure you're familiar with that by now. And uh, I'm not. I wish we had time for you uh, for you to tell us about it, but we're we're running short. Uh, what, go ahead with your final thoughts. Well, that was it. I just wanted to tell you, thank you for your perspectives. I I do appreciate them, and I do uh, think you guys are very professional, and I. And I uh, look forward to speaking again sometime with well, you. Well, great. It's good always man, good hearing you. from uh, from people who are formerly or currently law enforcement because it's an interesting perspective and one that I think, you know, it's good to hear open some of them that are open to change at least. I think he was open to the ideas of uh, of the of concept of legalizing or decriminalizing drugs. And if anybody can be persuasive to former law enforcement officers, it's the guys at LEAP. Uh, law Enforcement Against Prohibition is one of my favorite organizations. Even I just like people that agree with me and compliment me. Even so though like they're not uh, truly a libertarian or liberty-oriented group in that they still are calling for regulation, which is actually something he'd mentioned before. Well, would it be regulated? Well, if law enforcement against prohibition gets their way, it would be, uh, which is essentially... I can't say that I'm against uh, regulation if it's going to be, you know, if, if, if it's... If you're talking about it regulated in the same way that alcohol is, I'm not for it, but I'm not against it either. It'll be better than the black market. Yeah. I mean, that much is for sure. It would take the most all of the violence out pretty much overnight. Uh, so go and you owe it to yourself. If you are a law enforcement officer or you know someone, you love somebody who's a law enforcement officer or former law enforcement officer, show them leap, uh, leap.cc. Go and download the, I think they've got a video on there that you can either get uh, DVD copies of and you can get uh, you can get brochures. Reach out to your local police department while you're at it. I mean, take some brochures in there and if you know some local cops, introduce them to law enforcement against prohibition. I mean, they may not have even heard the statistics. They may not even know what the facts are. They may just be going on what they've been told by their, their superiors in the state, and the drugs are bad, and we should uh, throw people in jail that do them. Well, there are reasons why that's all completely wrong, and the guys at Leap do a great job. Leap.cc. Benny in here with you. And Mark. See you tomorrow night online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. Government officials like to think they know better than the rest of us. They tell us what we can buy and when we can buy it. Everything from guns and booze to cold medicine and cigarettes. Now they've gone even farther. Cities across the country are now trying to tax and ban bottled water. That's right. Simple, no alcohol, no caffeine, no calorie bottled water. They say it's wasteful and buying it is, quote, stupid. But who are they to decide? If politicians decide you shouldn't even be able to buy bottled water, what's next? Visit us at enjoybottledwater.org and sign the petition to keep the nanny state out of our water bottles.